It's been said the hardest thing to do in sports is to win a championship. Well, my guest today has won five times, five times in three different countries. My guest today is the player known affectionately as Sal. He's also a winner, Rob DeMaio. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Flattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. Um, as always, let's get some business out of the way right from the start. Um, good news that um, uh, Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise should hopefully soon be available. I know several people have asked me about that. Uh, I have the mugs ready to go. They are uh, in my garage right now, uh, but I, I really want to wait till I get some t-shirts done. Um, I ordered T-shirts maybe six weeks ago from a place, and they're finally en route to me. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, I will have them. And uh, once I see the prototype and I approve it, I can order more. I can sell them to you. Uh, So for now, there will be mugs available. There will be T-shirts available. uh, And I'd like to do a combination where uh, you can buy one or the other. But if you buy both, uh, you'll get a little bit of a discount price on there. So... Uh, keep an eye out for that. I'm sure that uh, I will flood your social media with the photos of it and with uh, ways to order. I do hope that uh, if you choose to buy merchandise for my podcast, thank you very much. That is really amazing. Um, you know, I don't really know what to say about that. It's actually crazy for me to think about, but the number of you that have asked me about it is uh, is very humbling. So um, hopefully I have something for you in the near future. Of course, what makes the uh, podcast merchandise so amazing is the logo done by Joe Marisich. You've heard me tout his exploits in the past, and I'm going to tout them again. Uh, Joe is a very talented artist that did my logo. Uh, I can't wait to walk around with my merchandise and drink from uh, my cup, really. So if people ask me about it, I can say this is a guy, Joe Marisich, immensely talented guy. I can't wait. I'm so grateful that he did my logo. Uh, you can reach Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can get him at LoudEgg.com. Uh, check out his stuff on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, especially if you're an Islanders fan or a Jets fan or a um, Mets fan. 
those are his teams. I don't really know if he has a basketball team, but uh, but those are the teams. Just scroll through his Twitter. It's pretty amazing. Guy's just super talented. Uh, Joe Marisic, check out his art. Also, other podcasts along the same line as mine. Uh, the OG, the original, fourth line voice. Uh, Darren is... Um, what does he have now? Oh, I guess tomorrow's Monday. Well, when you're listening to this, today's Monday. I think he has a new episode coming out. Um, he does two episodes a week on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, check out the classic ones, too. The classic ones were done when he had his own website uh, before he moved to the Hockey Pod Network. He does one classic one a week, one new one a week. And also check out his Twitter because uh, Darren does these tournaments that uh, I don't want to say similar to mine since – he did them long before I ever thought of uh, the tournament. The one that I did with the Islander Enforcers. Um, he's kind of the master at these things. I'm pretty much uh, an amateur when it comes to this. He's got another one of the tournaments coming up. Uh, and I think it's uh, maybe a week or two that they'll be coming up. And I should know what the tournament is. He has uh, he has a, a few different ones. And um, because I didn't check his Twitter before I recorded this, I'm not sure which one this is. But uh, definitely vote. He always gets a lot of attention on these uh, on these tournaments. Uh, Well-deserved attention. I love them. So uh, I'm sure you will too. If you're listening to this show, you're definitely going to like his tournaments. And you'll definitely love his podcast. So definitely give him a listen. Uh, Five for Fighting podcast done by Alec. Uh, one of these days I'm going to try to say his last name. I think it's Olin Salen. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. He could tell me uh, if he's listening. He'll tell me if I said it right. Uh, but Alec uh, has been promising a Paxton Schulte podcast uh, for a few days now that hasn't hit uh, iTunes yet or anything. I hope everything's okay with Alec, uh, but uh, that's one I'm definitely looking forward to. Paxton is a guy that played a little bit here in North America, uh, but really became sort of a, a British League icon uh, once he left to, to go overseas. So I'm really interested to hear what Paxton had to say and uh, you know, check out Alex archives as well. He's got some really good ones on there. Um, if you're new to his podcast, I'm going to, I know he's probably sick of me saying this, but uh, to me, his, um, his gold standard is the show he had with Pat Barton. And uh, I would definitely give that one a listen. Kind of gives you an idea of, uh, of what's going on in, in Pat's life and the journey he's been through and what he's going through now. Um, really great story about Pat. Uh, Pat, Alec has a, um, has an enforcer group on Facebook that I don't, <laughs> I'm not even going to call it the other name. I call the last episode. I think I called it the old name. I didn't. It's, I think it's called enforcer appreciation. Uh, I think it's, it's well over 10,000 members and uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Many, many former enforcers are members. Uh, a few former enforcers are uh, moderators. Uh, yeah. Puberty just kicked in. That's why my voice cracked. Um, uh, like I said, the aforementioned Pat Barton is very active on there. Uh, every now and then, he just pops up these old photos uh, for Islander fans like myself. He's oh, he's got like a an archive of uh, young Eric Cairns photos. So uh, I would definitely, if you're on Facebook, uh, definitely uh, check out the Enforcer Appreciation Group. Uh, definitely join it and check out Alex's podcast, uh, the Five for Fighting podcast. Um, let me see what else. The uh, Dave Scatcher Challenge, which I, um, I recorded in a quick episode with Dave a few days ago, uh, that kick off, kicks off today, Monday. By the time you're hearing this, I'm not sure if there's still time to sign up. Uh, I hope that you listen to the episode. I, I hope you listen to what Dave had to say. 
Uh, I signed up. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, what's been going on the last few months is uh, really nerve-wracking for a lot of us, myself included. As you've heard me say in the past, I've been furloughed. Uh, I know I'm going to be out of work for a little while, and it sucks. Um, it really does. It, it, it sucks. I mean, I am enjoying immensely the time I have with my family here. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that's second to none to me. It's my whole reason why I live is for my family. Uh, but it's the uncertainty of when I'm going back to work that is, uh, is driving me crazy. And I think with Dave, he's such a uh, successful motivational speaker now, um, you know, just a, a, a super positive person that I can't wait to dive right in to his challenge, the Get Your Shit Together Challenge, which starts tomorrow as I'm recording today, Sunday. But today, because this is probably when you're listening to it. So I do hope you listen to the episode and I really hope you signed up. Like I touted the whole time, it's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, and I think you have everything to gain. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. I might be in the middle of the first uh, challenge while you're listening to this now, but uh, but hopefully you signed up for that too. Uh, other than that, you know, um, today's guest was Rob DeMaio. Uh, really, really uh, incredible career that he had. Um, you know, I met Rob uh, with the Islanders. Um, this season after the he won the Calder Cup with Springfield and um, just a class guy, uh, you know, really hard work, an inspiration. I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, any any time you see a Rob DeMaio fight or a Rob DeMaio highlight on YouTube or anywhere else, it's his size is always brought up because uh, undersized guy. But, you know, like I said in the interview, um, if you put Rob DeMaio's heart in, you fill in the name, every team. Every fan of a team has players on that team that they will never forget for not giving the effort or that were immensely talented but could have been more had they cared. And Rob DeMaio, Kevin Kaminsky, players like that who were on the smaller side but played like they were 10 feet tall, those are the guys that I always reference. And as you know, if you've listened, uh, uh, you know Vladimir Malikov is, is one of those guys for me that I think was blessed with so much ability but I, I always question his, his heart and how much he cared. And uh, I say, if you had a heart transplant and you put Robbie DeMaio's heart or Kevin Kaminsky's heart in a guy like Vladimir Malikov, you might be looking at the greatest defenseman of all time. Uh, Rob was just an absolute joy to watch play with the Islanders. Uh, I wish his tenure here was longer. Uh, but in hindsight, his journey was a good one. Uh, and he's, he played in some fantastic places like Philly and Boston, uh, Tampa, and uh, uh, Dallas, I mean, there's a lot of places he played. Uh, I would have loved for him to be a career Islander, but obviously that's out of my hands. And we spoke for about uh, a little under three hours. I really appreciate uh, the time that Rob gave me. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, just a, a real likable guy, real down-to-earth guy. And also, you know, for me selfishly, uh, he's Italian, like I am. And uh, his parents were uh, born in Italy. My father was born in Italy, so... We have that in common. My mom, of course, was born here in, uh, in America, but um, his parents uh, are Italian citizens. My dad was. I mean, obviously, they're all U.S. now, but uh, born in Italy, so we have that in common. And, you know, for, uh, for someone like myself, there's not too many Italian players that, uh, that played in the NHL. I mean, I'm sure there are some that you can name with Italian descent, but uh, as far as Italian players who play for the Islanders that I can have an opportunity to interview... Uh, I don't know. Robbie might be it. So 
um, this was a real treat for me and uh, total gentleman great interview as far as I'm concerned he was uh, you know like I say about everybody it seems like very forthcoming I don't think he held anything back and uh, um, you know for me selfishly I had a blast talking about it um, not really much else to say about what's going on in the world right now it's the same bullshit that you hear from everybody else um, so I'm not really going to comment on it but uh, I will post um, on my social media this Thursday I'm hooking up with uh, Bobby from the Bucket Drop podcast uh, we're going to do an episode where we do top 10 Islander fighters so that's something that uh, I'm looking forward to I already know my 10 I just have to figure out the order I'm putting them in and just so, so you know something to look forward to uh, hopefully look forward to I'm looking forward to doing it uh, in the weeks to come uh, I'm working on a project here that uh, where I'm going to uh, basically do a top five or a top ten by position of um, Islander Islander fighters you know obviously not goalie but uh, you know top ten defenseman top ten right wing left wing top ten center and then once I'm done with those positions I'm gonna put together my ultimate top ten uh, I'm gonna try to use some numbers in it not analytics god knows no not analytics but um i want to kind of devise a point system where a guy who fought 25 times would maybe in that particular season rank higher than a guy who maybe fought five times so um as i've been going through the stats of, of some of these guys it, it uh it's really incredible uh one guy who i think really gets overshadowed um and I won't go into it too much, but one guy that really I think people need to take another look at uh, because not everyone is an old fart like me and, and can remember when he played. But it's easy to talk about guys like Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom because, you know, they're Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom. But in that vein, Gary Howitt, and, and I'm going to talk about this, Gary Howitt's numbers are staggering. I mean, they, they really are staggering. And if you watch them play, you know it because the guy was just an absolute savage but and and i mean savage like in the truest sense of the word not savage in 2020 where people on social media talk about a chirp being a savage chirp because that's not savage that's that may be someone coming up with a quick one-liner but certainly not savage well it might be savage for 2020 but uh gary howitt was a savage an absolute savage and um i think if you're listening to this and you're of an age where you didn't watch him play live or you haven't watched anything of his in a while, do yourself a favor and go on YouTube now and just put in Gary Howitt and go down that rabbit hole. Holy shit, man. Uh, talk about underrated. And I, I don't want to say underappreciated because I think Islander fans love the guy as they should. But in comparison to some other players, I, I really think he is underappreciated. So that's one of the things about this project that I'm working on that I'm really looking forward to is um, you may not agree with, with uh, where I rank these guys, and Lord knows I've had my fill of that with the Tough Guy magazines back in the day, um, which is fine. Uh, so you may not agree with my rankings, but hopefully I, I stir up some interest where you're going to do some research and you're going to look these guys up and and maybe bring back memories of some guys who uh, who you don't remember maybe didn't play as often uh, as often play as much as some other guys but um it's been a pretty interesting project right now um what i have going on so um it's the kind of thing where i want to kind of do fillers if i can't get a guest or maybe i'll alternate weeks with a guest and and a, a top 10 
But um, in the short term, like I said, this Thursday I'll be recording with Bobby, and uh, hopefully he'll have that uh, up and running in, uh, a few days after that, and I'll, I'll definitely post that. But um, for now, I just hope you can sit back, have some time to listen to Robbie DeMaio. Have a great day, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Um, today, I know I say this a lot, it's that I say that my guests, it's a real treat to have my guests on, um, but this is a guy that I, I go way back with. Um, once again, it's another guy who, who I met through Dean Ewan, and uh, you know, he's, this guy spent some time here on the island. And through the course of his career, many adjectives have been used to describe my guests. But I think the one that really oh, I always come back to is winner. Um, back in the day with the Steelers, when they were winning four championships in six years, their thing uh, motto was one for the thumb. Well, the cool thing about my guest today is he got his one for the thumb last year with St. Louis. My guest today is none other than my paisano, Robbie DeMaio. Welcome to the show, Robbie. Yeah, it's good to be here, Joe. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. So, um... One of the things that, obviously, listen, I am unapologetically proud of my Italian heritage. So this is one of the interviews that I'm really looking forward to doing because you did play some time in Italy, which we will get to later on. But uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about that. But I usually start the interview with interviews with the same question. If I had a time machine and I went back to Calgary when you were a young man skating on the pond, uh, who were you? And by that I mean... When I was younger, growing up in Queens and on Long Island playing street hockey, uh, I was always Clark Gillies. I was Bob Nystrom. I, I was those are the guys I looked up to. If I had a time machine, Robbie, who were you back in the day? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the day, man, when I was growing up, was a I was a real Montreal Canadiens fan. Mm -hmm. So that was Guy Lafleur and, and Larry Robinson and, and Steve Shutt and those guys. I remember being glued to the TV on Saturday nights watching them play. And I don't know what it was, whether it was the, their jerseys or the history. And I, I and I guess when I'm young, I had no idea the history. It's just uh, you know Dickie Irvin doing the announcing and just classic commentating and just those, those memories stick in my head. But yeah, it was it was it wasn't one guy in particular, but um, you know. And I guess if there was, I guess it would have been Guy Lafleur, just because he was so, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was quite a player back in his day, and his hair was flowing, and and he could score goals, and he was a guy that I always, uh, I always liked to watch. That's for sure. When I was young, you are not the first person on the show to say Guy Lafleur, so uh, I think he might be the guy that uh, guys have said the most so far. So uh, so you're you're in pretty good company. So oh, really? yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So if we move forward. Um, the first team I have you, I have a record of you playing with, although I don't have any real details. Uh, I think it was uh, maybe your last year of uh, AAA with the Calgary Royals. Um, yeah. So do you have any, uh, for, for those of us down here in the States, I think some people are familiar with the, the major junior leagues, and I believe Calgary is, is probably one level lower uh, than that. Um, could, do you have any memories, uh, any specific memories from Calgary uh, when you played there? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Like that was midget age, so we're fairly young guys. But there was a guy named uh, Garth Malarchuk who was my my coach during that year in midget. And Garth, he currently works with the Toronto Maple Leafs as a scout and the Western scout. And um, his brother Clint played in Buffalo for years and and had a good NHL career. But but Garth uh, told me years later after I was I 
he says he was going to cut me from the midget team uh, because he thought that I uh, I was too big for myself or something like that. And the only reason that he didn't cut me from the midget team was because his wife liked me for whatever reason and thought that that you can't let him go. And so it, it's 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 kind of an irrelevant story, but but a story that actually had something to do with my career. Like yeah. if I didn't play on that team, uh, we had real a lot of success. It was uh, I was a younger player on with guys that are a year older than me on that team, and you know I had lots of success. Got some attention from Major Junior because of that year, and I went to play Major Junior, and then my career evolved from there. But if it wasn't for his wife, I may not be having this conversation with you today. Is what wow. I'm trying to get to, yeah. That's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, so um, the first team you play for in the Western League is a pretty story franchise, the Kamloops Blazers, and uh, they have a, a, a historic coach who's well known in NHL circles. Uh, also, you know, is a pretty pretty legendary in the Western League, and that's Ken Hitchcock. Uh, what were your impressions of Hitch when you first went to Kamloops? Well, I got there. It was, it was Hitch's first year uh, in Major Junior. He came from Edmonton, from Midget, which the leagues that I played in before. But he, uh, so it was his first year. He was a big, big man at that time. Like he's he's trimmed himself down a lot yeah. from those days. But he was a big, big man. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hitch, you know, I got to training camp. Uh, I had no expectations of making that that team at that when I was 16 years old. Uh, but I had a really good camp, and the next thing you know, he's calling me into his office, and he says, you know, we'd like to take a drive to Calgary to visit, meet your parents, because we'd like to maybe keep you here this year, and um, and I was like, really? <laughs> so off we go, get to Calgary, meet with my mom, and goes back to the, the Italian part of this conversation is that, you know, my mother and father came from Italy, so they didn't really have a clue that about leaving home when you're at a young age to go play hockey somewhere. Well, anyway, they're sitting with my mother and my father at our kitchen table, and you know they're saying we like your son to come to Kamloops, and and we'll put him out with a billet home with a billet family. They'll be he'll be taken care of very well. And my mother was like, she couldn't wrap her head around. <laughs> you're gonna leave the house like you can't stay here and go play. And so, it, long story short, I ended up going. I ended up playing for Hitch that year, which was, you know, a great experience for me uh, in a very tough league, moving away from home for the first time. And, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a real good time doing that, that's for sure. So one of your teammates that you played with that first year is someone who, for the time that he played in the Western League, I mean, no matter where he played, he was always regarded as one of the tougher guys. But I think uh, the consensus is, consensus is back then he was one of if not the toughest one of the toughest guys and that's Rudy Poshek so as this wide-eyed kid coming in playing your first year in Kamloops uh, what were your impressions of Rudy when you got there yeah he yeah I, like that was all foreign to me because I'd never I've never fought before so I you know you'd see it on TV and stuff but you know playing midget hockey he never did that and then we get there and Rudy is a scary looking guy yeah. he's a big man like and at that time junior hockey you know it was it was a rough and tough league and each team had you know their three or four guys that that could take care of business when they needed to but rudy was uh 
Rudy was one of the toughest that I ever played with. I played with him in pro as well, and, yeah. and you know he could take a punch as, as well as he could give one. And uh, and he was a gamer, man. Anytime, anywhere, it didn't matter with Rudy. He just uh, he showed up, and he uh, you know it's a tough job to do, but he uh, he had no problem doing it. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, obviously he's a favorite of mine, and, and I've met him a few times. Really, really nice guy. So I'm not surprised that you say that. So uh, as you said. <clears throat> this was your first real. This was your first year in the Western League, so if you can think back to that first year, like you said about how the Western League was, it really was the Wild West back then. Was there one incident in that first season that made you just stand up and go, "Holy shit, this is like fucking crazy"? Uh, <laughs> uh, there one incident. Um, the story that I remember. There's a good story about. Uh, the Prince Albert Raiders, and they had Ken Baumgartner, and they had uh, their team was crazy tough. Yeah. Dave Manson, they had they had guys that 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 a lot of them never played pro, but a lot of them were just like mid, you know, uh, farm boys that, mm-hmm. that just got together on this team, and they were tough as nails, man. Yeah. And I remember hearing a story that they, you know, they were playing against Brandon, I believe, at that time. Uh, I think it was Brandon, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, it was during it was during the playoffs, and uh, the, there was a league rule that got changed because of this. Because they would Prince Albert would go down to the other end of the ring, steal all the pucks from the other team, and take them all in there. And the other team didn't have any pucks to practice to to, to go through warm up with. Yeah, <laughs> and then nobody would do anything about it because their team was so tough. But that. That's one of the, one of those stories that I never witnessed it firsthand, but I heard a lot of people that did, and they said, "Yeah, they were just that tough a team. Nobody was going to go get those pucks. There was not a chance that was happening." I think because of the uh, Islander-centric theme of my show, uh, Prince Albert has come up a lot because of guys like Rod Dahlman and, of course, Bomber, uh, who obviously at that time, along with Rudy, generally uh, are the two guys that people always bring up about just how scary those guys were and. You know, obviously I wasn't there, but as I think back, I could picture Bomber and Dave Manson and Rob Dahlman and I think Al Stewart was there, just all going down and stealing the pucks. I'm surprised they didn't take the net also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. They were were tough teams, man, that's for sure. So uh, when we go on to the next year, you started out the season in Kamloops, you played six games, and then you were traded to Medicine Hat. How did the trade come about? Uh, Actually, another good story. I, I got to camp uh, that summer I, I was doing some some labor work with my my uncle so my my mother's brother and he just let me do some some he, they did construction work so I was doing some labor work and I made enough money that I I was able to buy a car and I bought this uh, Camaro the Z28 Camaro and I got to training camp and I think Hitch saw me with this car thinking that I was this big shot guy now driving this fancy car. Meanwhile, I worked my ass off to get this thing. Like, I, I worked my tail off just to make enough money to, to, to buy this car. And I thought it was, you know, it was admirable that I yeah. worked hard. It wasn't given to me. I, I, I did it the right way. Anyway, I get to training camp, and uh, I remember Hitch looking at me, and then for whatever reason, something wasn't sitting right. You know, I was I came into camp in good shape and things were going well. But to this day, you know, I, I played for Hitch later on in pro. He coached me. 
Um, I worked with him in, in St. Louis for a while, and he says, the reason I traded you was because you brought, bought that fucking car, and you <laughs> thought you were king shit, is what he said to me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, then, you know, as I was a 17-year-old kid, I didn't know it, and he never told me that at the time, but it turned out that that trade was another one of the best things that ever happened to me in, 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 in I guess, semi-professional hockey that elevated me to a point where, where I could have an NHL career. Well, his head would have exploded if he had ever come to Long Island at that time because at that at that time, you know, mid-80s, all the Italians on Long Island were driving Camaros. They all had the Camaros, they all had the Irocs, so he would, his head would have exploded at the time seeing all, all these people with these Camaros. But uh, like you said, yeah. the trade actually was the best thing for you. Uh, so you go to Medicine Hat, another storage franchise in the Western League, um, and you played with a few guys who have Islander ties, um, guys like Dale Kushner, Dean Chanel, um, another guy you're very familiar with, Craig Berube, and uh, Doug Huda. So you guys were all on that Medicine yep. Hat team. Do you have any, um, any memories of any of those guys? I mean, I know Dean Chanel very well. He's, he's, you know, I think the world of him. And, um, so, and obviously he played a big part on that team too. So do you have yeah. any memories of those guys? Oh, tons. I mean, those, those were the best, some of the best years of my life playing in Medicine Hat. I mean, we won two championships back-to-back, which in junior hockey is almost unheard of and a very difficult thing to do. Um, and I lived with Dean when I first got there my first year, and, you know, we, we shared a room together. We became very close friends. We ended up uh, building a property, building houses in Montana right beside each other along with Trevor Linden years later and so that group like we, we were we were a close group like Dean was a good friend of mine he's still a good friend of mine today yeah. and uh, you know Craig Barubi is you know our coach now in St. Louis who's done a fabulous job but you know great stories of Chief and, and you know the way he played and you know the style that he played and he was another guy like Kenny Baumgartner you know that just showed up had a amazing professional career played over you know a thousand games and to do that job in, a, in over a thousand games that's a credit to him so um, but there's so many stories I mean I don't even know where to start with that yeah. but you know they were just fantastic years that, that kind of molded me into the player that I became and, and gave me the opportunity to again have a have a, a professional career just learning from a lot of these guys that I uh, that I played with. Now this season, I don't know. Like you said, it was a, it, we both said it was a good thing for your career. Um, you became basically a point per game player this season, 20 goals, 30 assists. You had 82 penalty minutes. Now, um, one guy you fought once in the in the regular season and once in the playoffs is a guy that we both know, Rod Dalman. So I don't know if you remember those scraps, but is there any chance you do remember fighting Rod? Yeah, no, I do remember Rod. Yeah, I, I, like Rod Dalman. For me, pound for pound, out of everybody that I ever played with, he was the toughest guy I ever played with. I never saw a guy that was so willing and so uh, determined to, to show up, even if he didn't do well in the fight. I mean, he would take a licking and he would come back the next shift and he would go again and he would do it again. I've never seen a guy, like, that's how I determine what what toughness is I mean you get a lot of guys that'll, that'll beat the crap out of somebody and and whatever but Rod was a guy that that would show up regardless if he won the fight or not and 
I remember fighting Dolly, and it was just, it was never, you know, there weren't epic fights or anything, but man, he, he could take a punch, and, and, and he was just one of those guys that was sinewy and just kept coming at you and kept coming at you, and it, he was, he was an impressive individual, man. He was one of the guys that, that I never forget. I mean, it was uh, some of the stuff that he did, and when, when we played in Springfield together was, was and in New York, was, was really incredible. Uh, yeah. No, listen, no argument here. I, I love the guy. I, my goal is to one day get him on the show. But I have so many questions I want to ask him. I'm a monster fan of his. I agree with yeah. everything you just said. Um, yeah. Next season in Medicine Hat, you are offici- you're officially a point-per-game player. 70 points, 70 games. Penalty minute totals up a little bit. Uh, Dean Chenault is still there. Dale Kushner is still there. So I have to ask you about two other guys. One, you mentioned Trevor Linden already. So at that age... When a guy like Trevor Linden, and we all know what he became as a, as a professional player, can you actually see at the time, like, this kid is something special? Yeah, you know, the, there was there was Trevor, and then there was uh, Mike Madonna, who played in Prince Albert. Yeah. And they were, it was their draft years, and they were, and you could tell, yeah, you know, they just had, they had all, they had size, they had skill, they could skate, they had the whole package, really. I mean, Trevor was just, you know, local kid in Medicine Hat, just, you know, really nice family, very humble, very kind people, and that's what Trevor was, you know, Trevor just, he was a young kid, but he was, man, he, uh, he turned out to be, that's for sure. And the other guy I want to ask you about is someone who only played four games that year, but he's a friend of mine, he does have some Islander ties, and I don't know if you remember going back, this is so many years ago. But do you remember Mike McWilliam playing with Medicine Hat? I do, Big Mike. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's uh, the, what stories? I mean, he was a <laughs> tough, tough guy too, man. Oh, yeah. He could he could fight, and he was uh, uh, and he was a big, intimidating guy. And I remember our, our our cup years. Like he he was a big influence. He played on the fourth line, but he was, you know, he he played to his role and he played physical and he just. He was a presence, and that's what, what what really helped a lot of the skilled guys on, the, on on our team too. Like to have guys like him around, no question. Uh, there's another guy that you fought once in the regular season and once in the playoffs this year, um, and he's someone that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, similar similar in st- stature to yourself, um, maybe a little crazier than you, and that's Kevin Kaminsky. Do you remember your battles with Killer? Yeah, I do. I remember one real real good battle in Saskatoon it was in the playoffs and I don't know if we eliminated them that game but they had guys like Kelly Chase and and uh, um, I don't know who else was on Terry Clark and Tony Twist yeah Twister and Clarky yeah those guys were all there they were they were they were a handful that team but I remember uh, he challenged me Kevin challenged me and it was in the third period I believe and uh I had a really good fight against him. He was a tough guy too, but, yeah. and he was crazy, man. That that guy, he he slashed <laughs> across the head as as quick as he'd punch it in the face. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's what he was like. Mm. But I had a I had a really good fight with him, and I did really well. And I it was I don't know if it was towards the end of the period or the end of the game, but it, we got kicked out. And all I remember is that my GM at the time, Russ Farwell. Yeah. He would he beat me to the locker room, and and we got in. He got in the locker room and he was hugging me and I, and he was so excited that I, maybe not for the fight I think for the fact that because we were going to beat them and move on to 
the, the league championship, I believe, at that time. But because I did that, and Kevin was such a pain in the ass to play against <laughs> for us all year and in the playoffs, and he was a good player, too, yeah. that he was really, you know, amped up about that, that, that fight and I, that I did really well. In, and um, so that's one good story that I know about mm -hmm. Kevin, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I was trying to, I was, I was thinking about this, and, and you might be the right person to ask. Um, for us down here in the States, we don't really have anything that's the equivalent of the Memorial Cup. I, I guess probably uh, as far as the level of, uh, like, the way the, the attention it gets, it's probably a regional thing, and you might be the right person as since you played in Dallas. I think high school football in parts of the country are there are it's really rabid like in texas and different parts but as far as something countrywide here in the states we don't have anything like the memorial cup for for kids that age so i always try to ask people who play can you just tell tell the listeners how important is the memorial cup to canada oh it's a huge event um how important is it i mean i like it's it's kind of ingrained in the culture of, of canada for and junior hockey and, and um, so it's really important it's a, it's a it's a big time event here for the country um, a lot of people pay a lot of attention to it and um, it's a great tournament you know it brings the whole you know from east to west the whole country together you know with teams from 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 certain areas of of the different parts of the country so yeah it's turned into a really, really big event it's televised heavily and it's a very popular, uh, it's a very popular uh, tournament to have, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger as the years have gone on. And what was uh, so? This was your your first year that um, the, this is the first year that you won the Memorial Cup with Medicine Hat. Um, what is the grind like to win the Memorial Cup and then to actually do it? Because I think what people maybe people down here don't realize is the Memorial Cup is the championship of all junior hockey in Canada. All three of the major junior leagues are in this tournament. Uh, it's the best of the best. So what is that grind like, and how rewarding is it when you win? Yeah, it's it's like any championship that you win. You're like, I mean, but that in particular is a real grind because you got to go through your, your, your league playoffs, and, you know, that's tough enough. And then you got to take your time. It depends if you finished earlier, if you finished late. Like, you, you, you're going to have time off to prepare or you have time off that you get a little bit rusty. Uh, it depends where the tournaments play. I mean, it, you know, we were always, the, the two years that we went, we had to go east. So we went to Quebec and then we had to go to Ontario uh, to play in the tournament. So it wasn't in our backyard. So we had travel on top of that after you, you go through you know, three or four grinding series just to win your league. So um, it's a it's a heck of a it, it's a heck of a grind. I mean, it's 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 uh, the will of attrition, I guess you could call it. You know, it's 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 a tough. That's why they call it. You know, one of the most difficult championships to win, let alone to do it two years in a row. So that's that 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 you know made it really special. And you don't realize that until years later when you're looking back on it. But man, it was tough. It was tough to do that. It was really tough. No doubt. Now, um, that was a good summer for you. You know, you win the Memorial Cup, and things only got better. Uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, this was the second year you were eligible to be drafted. You weren't drafted the summer before, but this year the Islanders did draft you in the sixth round. So my question is, um, I know you weren't at the draft, 
but how did you find out you were drafted, and were you expecting to be drafted? Uh, you know what, I missed, I, I went through my draft after we had a, had a good year, you know, uh, where I was really disappointed, but I wasn't a big guy, I was a smaller guy, and for whatever reason, I just got passed by my, on, on my, my first try. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I stuck with it and, um, you know, had success again, you know, winning brings attention to, to not just me, but to, to, to most of the guys in our team. And, um, so New York took a chance on me and fortunately that it, it was, uh, um, what happened, I was at home in medicine, well, I was at Medicine Hat at my billet's house, I was still going to school and I remember getting a, a, a phone call from, uh, Bill Torrey was on the line, and Bill said, "Rob, we've just uh, we've just drafted you." He said he first introduced himself. This is Bill Torrey. I'm the general manager of the of the New York Islanders. We've just drafted you in the sixth round. Um, we really look forward to seeing you at training camp. You know, congratulations. And I didn't really. I was like, really? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wasn't expecting the phone call because back then the draft was, you know, you didn't even watch the draft. I mean, you didn't, let alone for me, for guys in the later rounds never went to the draft. So I got off the phone and I remember just sitting there. I was in the basement of my, my, my Bill of Family's house and I was by myself and I was like, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't, like, I was, I was so excited. Yeah. I was kind of frozen. I was like, okay, well, now... Now what do I have to do? I don't know where to go. I don't know what. I didn't know who to call. I called my parents and I told them, and they were like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I don't know what it means. It means that I got drafted, so it means I'm I'm part of the New York Islanders system for now, and then maybe I get a chance to go play in New York one day. So it was a really cool experience. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that. That's one of the things like. Like when my kids were born, how how excited I was. That 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 it was the same type of feeling. It's cool because I can almost I can hear it in your voice. Like like the way that you're expressing it right now, I can almost hear. You know, obviously it'd be different if we were face to face, and I could see the expression in your face. But I can hear it in your voice just how much it meant to you. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it did, and you know what I. Like and most people that most guys that that get drafted, it, I mean the work beforehand all plays into it but in my circumstance at that time with the league being you know a lot of big guys and I was a little guy never expecting to you know in my mind I always knew I, I had the ability to do it but you know reality sometimes sunk in is that I wasn't people thought I needed to be bigger in order to play it in the, in the National Hockey League or just to get drafted right. and you know so when I got that phone call man that was that was one of the best experiences of my life. I have to be honest. The um, the the issue of your size, I'm sure, is something that followed you throughout your entire career. And um, you know, I think the one thing that I would hope at some point people realized was what you lacked in size. You made up for in grit and heart and determination. And and you know, like I, you're you're one of the guys I use for an example. Um, to me, there's a guy like Vladimir Malikov, and I'm not shitting on the guy. But he's always someone that I always thought could be better than he actually was. And he was a tremendous player. And you're one of the guys like yourself and Killer Kaminsky and guys that I say, if you put Rob DeMaio's heart or Kevin Kaminsky's heart in a guy like Vladimir Malikov, the guy would have been the greatest defenseman of all time. 
So, um, you know, I think the thing with your size, and especially, I guess, back in the earlier days, I'm sure that was always an issue, but hopefully at some point throughout your career because you never took a shift off, you never stopped working. And for someone like myself who's just a fan sitting in stands, I see that. And I'd imagine at some point, hopefully, the hockey world took notice of that also. Yeah, I mean, my height's my height, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't change it, unfortunately. And that's, yeah. uh, but, you know, it, there's something that's, there's something to be said about perseverance and, and not giving up and, and I mean it's all the cliche talk about yeah. you know that that you know every father or every mother or every family may have at some point that you know if you work hard you're going to have success and um, you know you just have to keep trying you have to keep trying to kick the door down if, if you're not getting through and you got to keep trying and and that that was honestly the case with me I mean it I could have easily just said, "Ah, you know what? This isn't worth it." But I, I had an inner drive that I just said, "You know what? I can do this. I can, I can do it." Once I, once I, once Hitch, Ken Hitchcock selected me to to, to, to make that team when I was 16 in junior hockey in Camden. At that point, I remember I was just like, "I think I can. I'm going to try do this." Yeah. Now that I got here, now I can maybe go there. And so, you know, it was just a progressive thing, but. For me, it was, it was, you know, I think I had to do, and, and most guys my size back then had to do a little extra mm. in order to get noticed, and, and that's what I tried to do. Well, one of the other things we have in common besides both being devastatingly handsome is that uh, your, parents, your parents came from Italy, my father came over from Italy, and even in my earliest memories, I always remember my dad always working two jobs, always... He always was working to put food on the table, and, and uh, a lot of my work ethic I think I get from my father. Is that where your work ethic came from, your parents? Oh yeah, no question about it. I mean, they, you know, like you would you would know. I mean, immigrant family comes over from 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 Europe, doesn't know the language, doesn't speak the language, doesn't know the culture, doesn't yeah. you know? They had mm -hmm. to find their way. So, you know, however they could you know make ends meet and yeah move ahead they did that and mm -hmm. and so yeah that 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 work ethic was instilled in me at a young age yeah. and you know you know and credit to my parents and that generation i mean they they didn't have anything and they had to work for everything they got that's for sure yeah that's no question about that so you're drafted by the islanders now it's the uh, 1987-88 season and now you go to your first training camp with the Islanders, and I believe when you get there, there's still some pretty big names in that locker room. So walking into that locker room and seeing some of the legends that were on the Islanders, uh, is that kind of awe-inspiring? Yeah, that was um, that was amazing to me. I mean, I, I remember first time seeing Brian Trottier, and I was like, this is Brian Trottier. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm like, they just won four Stanley Cups. I mean, this, like, legendary guys. And, you know, Al Arbor, when I, I saw him for the first time, I was like, wow, I mean, this, this is this is another level, you know, like, this, these are stuff of dreams for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, I was in awe of these guys and especially the guys that have been there for a long time. Brent Sutter was there. That um, We had, they had numerous guys that were, were you know, legendary players that were kind of getting towards the end of their careers, but, you know, still had that aura about them. 
And uh, but Brian Tarache really stood out for me as the guy that I was just like, wow, yeah, I can't believe I'm actually in the same locker room and I'm going to be on the same ice with him. And then he ended up being my centerman for a little while in training camp, with, uh, which was really cool. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, one game I have to ask you about in particular, and everybody that participated in this game I have to ask because the stories are unbelievable. Um, out of all the videos I've ever made, out of all the videos I've ever watched, this is my white whale. On September 22, 1987, the Islanders played the Rangers in a rookie game. Uh, prior to a game that evening against the the regular clubs, and yeah. in this in this game, uh, I know Dean Ewan fought Rudy Poshek, and Mick Vakoda fought Mark Tenorti, uh, Sharky fought Donnie Herkseg. Uh You fought Paul Girard, if I'm not mistaken, at least Paul Girard. I don't know if you had any other ones. Um, what were your recollections of this rookie game? Yeah, the, the, uh, <laughs> like if, yeah, they were just they 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 were, weren't really hockey games. Yeah. They were more. They were more like gladiator games, you know. Like yeah. it was like you knew it, and like and I didn't really know until I got into it. But it was like we're gonna dress our toughest lineup. They're gonna dress their toughest lineup, and the puck is optional. And that's <laughs> kind of the way the the way it was. I mean, it was like yeah, the tough guys fought the tough guys, and whoever else wanted to get involved, you had a partner no matter what. And that was a yeah, they they the game has changed a lot since then. But yeah. I tell you what, and they were afternoon games, so there was nobody in the stands. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, okay, boys, yeah, it's <laughs> it's you against us, and and it was just you know it was it was like a gladiator match. That's what it was. My favorite, um, the Dean has told me a story about this game where he says, you know, we're sitting on the bench, and I'm looking at their bench, and I'm looking at our bench, and all of a sudden, Kerry Clark scores a goal, and he does the moonwalk in the three amigos. And he said, I look over to the Rangers bench, and they're passing around a jar of Vaseline. So I said, okay. I said, here we go. We're, we're on it. And then he ended up fighting Rudy a couple of times and everything. So that is uh, that is the one game I wish I could get my hands on that I never will. But oh, it just uh, it just sounds just insanity. So Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Any, any Ranger Islander game back then, regardless if it was the minor league guys or if it was the NHL guys, it was they were, they were tough games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you go back to Medicine Hat, and you had a monster season uh, when you returned to Medicine Hat. 54 games, 91 points, 121, 120 penalty minutes. Now, one thing I want to ask you about, you played for a guy who I, I love, that's Barry Melrose. But Barry Melrose was the third coach that the team had in three years, and you don't often see that with successful teams. And obviously, this was a championship team. Why, why were the coaches changed so much? Yeah, well, we, we my first year get in there we had Doug Sauter who was a kind of legendary Western yeah. League coach mm-hmm. uh, and then you know what I don't know the reason why uh, he left yeah but then we had we had Brian Maxwell come in the year the next year mm-hmm. fresh off of playing basically uh, as a pro and you know we won a championship with with Brian then he had an opportunity from there I guess it was to go to to LA as an assistant coach yeah so he left and then the and then you know we had uh, 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 who came? Who was our last year? Barry. Coach? Oh, Barry came in. Yeah, yep. sorry. That's right. Um, yeah, he came in and he did a fantastic job, and he was right off from his playing days too. So, I mean, you know, we had uh, we had three really good coaches, but three very different personalities, and uh, 
you know, they all seemed to work in their own way. So that it was really odd time, but um, you know, we had good coaching. I mean, they were all they all had their 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 uh, their own styles, that's for sure. But uh, um, all had success. Now, I mentioned that you had 91 points, but in that 91 points, you had 47 goals in 54 games. Um, who did you play with that season? And was that did everything just click that season? Yeah, I played with uh, uh, Trevor Linden was and and uh, Mark Peterson were my my mm-hmm. line mates, and we were a real productive line. Mark was one of the all-time leading goal scorers in the in Western League history, mm-hmm. and Trevor was a young and obviously very very talented player that uh, um, like we talked about earlier had an outstanding professional mm-hmm. career so uh, we were a really good line uh, we we're a dangerous line we could kind of play it any way that you wanted to play it and uh, had a lot of success we had a lot of success yeah um, and then you were invited to play for your country in the world juniors uh, and I'm just looking at some of these guys that you played with like Joe Sackick, Theo Fleury Mark Recchi, your teammate Trevor Linden was there, Adam Graves, Eric Desjardins. I mean, maybe not at the time because you guys were all so young, but looking back on that roster now, that is that could be one of the greatest teams that ever, were ever assembled. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was Yeah, it, it was a real talent-laden team, man. Like in, and, um, yeah, you have to look back on it years later because there's a lot of Hall of Famers on that team, and... Yeah. and you know, even the, the depth guys, the guys lower in the lineup were really good players. I mean, it was it was a fun time. I mean, it was a really competitive team. And, um, you know, we got a chance to go to Russia uh, after the, this was the year after they had that punch out in Piastani where yeah. they had the brawl mm-hmm. for Canada and and, uh, and the Russians went at it. Yeah. And so we were in, in Russia and the security and, and just, you know the presence around our team and and what happened from the year before. Uh, lots of security. You know it was the, the the Iron Curtain, so it was it was a communist country and it was a very different place. And and you know we ended up winning a championship there too, which was really fantastic, an amazing story. Yeah. So we we had touched on about uh, how important the Memorial Cup is for Canadians now. Again, even down here in the States, we have, you know, we enter the World Juniors as well, but it's not, it's bigger now than it was back then, but winning the gold medal in the World Juniors on, on Team Canada, uh, what's that like when you come home? Uh, that was amazing. Like, it, it was, uh, back then it wasn't quite to the level it is now, but it was getting close. Like, it's, you know, the nationally broadcast and um, especially with what happened the year before with yeah. the, with the big brawl that they had so there was a lot of attention on it the next year mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's when it really started to take take on legs of its own and, and really the popularity really started to come after that but it, w- it was whenever you play for your country regardless of what country you play for if you have success and you win a championship doing that it's it's special. It's 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 a different feeling, you know. Like you're not just playing for, you know, your city or your 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 organization. You're playing for your country, yeah. and um, we take a lot of pride in that, you know. Canada and the U.S. now, and you know a lot of these countries, but Canada in particular is is really, it's a hockey mad country. So yeah. these tournaments mean a lot, 
and uh, they meant a lot to us. And I mean, I, it was again. I had a had a few year run there that that had a lot of special memories, but that one uh, that was that that was really special for me. That's the first time that I played for my country. That's awesome. Um, Medicine Hat uh, in the playoffs now. Fourteen games, thirty-one points, fifty-nine penalty minutes. Again, this is just an extension of your regular season that was phenomenal. And then you move on to the Memorial Cup, five games, nine points. Uh, so I guess the question is, is it harder to win the Memorial Cup or is it harder to repeat as Memorial Cup champions? Uh, I think both. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, yeah. it's, to, to just to get to that tournament is, is an accomplishment in itself. Then to win it and then to do it again the next year, uh, because junior hockey, there's so much turnover with your teams, it's, so it, it's really hard to, to, to do that. You know, you have a lot of graduating players that are 19 or 20 that, that move on to pro or wherever they go in their life, and then you got a new group of players that come in. So, well, we had we had Trevor Lynn and myself, and we had you know Mark Peterson, uh, Dean Chanel, Wayne McBean. We had we had like Scott McCray. We had ultra talented guys that were in that age group that we got to stay together and play that one more year and um, you know it, it was it was a hard thing to do but you know we had we had the ability and, and the players to do it um, one of the things that I like about you and that I respect about you is you are one of you're an ultimate team player but the season you had now you won the gold medal you won the memorial cup and I'm sure the individual awards are nice I'm sure, you're, you know, like I said, you're more of a team guy. But as I said in the Memorial Cup, this is the cream of the crop, the best of the best. And to be voted Memorial Cup MVP had to be a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it was. I mean, I, I can't can't say that it wasn't for right. me. I mean, it was, it was just kind of icing on or the cherry on top yeah. of, of an accomplishment that we did as a group, right, as a team. And. Uh, the second year in a row, and that, that, like I said, that, 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 that's really what took precedent for me. Like we did that again, and um, yeah, he probably could have given that trophy to uh, four or five or six guys on on our team that year, and they had to pick one, and I got picked, which I'm thankful for that. But you know, that that part of it really, quite honestly, that didn't matter. It was the fact that we actually won, and you know got to celebrate you know with 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 those same guys again that that was special so you entered your second training camp with the islanders and now you're walking in you're a two-time memorial cup champion you're a gold medal winner um how does that hold a lot of weight in a veteran nhl locker room um yeah i don't uh not in that locker room i don't think just because <laughs> of the history that they've had there i mean the organization liked uh, winners. I think any organization in sports in general likes guys that have, have won and had success. So, I mean, that's always a positive. But I think when, as a young guy, you just, you're entering that locker room not thinking about, you know, the successes you've had. You're just thinking about, you know, how do I, how do I present myself within this locker room with these guys, with this veteran group of, of guys that have had success like that, that that's the way i i approached it but um having success in your past is always a good thing in in my opinion so i, I don't think that hurt me that's for sure and 
in, no matter what the occupation is, walking into a new place and being the new guy, uh, it's always a little stressful. And, and hockey and professional sports are no different. And even though you were both young guys, uh, does having a guy like Dean Chenault, who you've already been through the wars with in junior, uh, does he help? Ha- does it help having a familiar face like that helping you make the transition? Yeah, well, the, the, the real comforting part of, of being in that organization at that time was that, you know, we had a lot of Western League players uh, that were drafted or, or in the organization. So I was familiar with a lot of the young guys there just from, from the Western League and, and from, from Western Canada where where I was from. So that was really comforting. But, but Dean was a guy that for sure, uh, you know, made me feel, you know, have support. I think I was the same for him. You know, we were both young guys trying to, you know, establish ourselves as pros. And uh, whenever you have somebody that you play junior with um, beside you, that always helps. And um, so that was your, this would be your first year pro. You uh, you end up in Springfield. And just as you had mentioned about all the Western League guys, uh, it had to seem like a Western League reunion playing with guys like uh, Dolly, who we've spoken about, Kerry Clark. Uh, Sean Byram, Dale Kushner, uh, Dale Henry, Duncan McPherson. Uh, so not only, especially in Springfield, were you around guys who you've either battled with or battled against. Um, you don't you don't necessarily have to feel like you need to take on uh, like a very physical role. You can, for someone like yourself, you can pretty much just stand back and play your game. And if something happens, you can deal with it. And if something doesn't happen, you can just play because you really have an army behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's very true. I mean, um, yeah, we had, we had guys that, that that could take care of, you know, either side of the game at that time in in, in hockey, and so that was very comforting. I mean, you know, you didn't have to be the guy that was gonna, you know, instigate something, um, or you knew that if something was to happen, somebody was always gonna have your back, which was which was a really uh, a real positive thing at that time. Uh, just because the game was different, like we've talked about before, it was just—it was more rough and tumble. And you know, for myself personally, being a smaller guy turning pro, um, I, I was not—I wouldn't say a target, but guys would, would think they could take advantage of somebody my size easily. And then you know, I had—I had the guys surrounding me that that um, backed me up all the time, which was uh, which was a nice feeling. One guy who I always ask uh, his ex-teammates about, because unfortunately I can't speak with him right now, is Duncan McPherson. And Duncan yeah. is a player that you've had played against in the Western League, and he was your teammate in Springfield. Um, what were your recollections about Duncan? Yeah, Dunk was, uh, um, you know, I didn't really know him very well. I mean, just for the, sh- the short time that I was with him, he, he was a good hockey player, strong, strong man, like just, 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 um, he had this this strength about him, like forearm strength, and just you know a real strong strong individual. Um, you know, kind of an outdoorsy type of guy that always like lived a little bit differently, from my recollection of him. Um, and, and that was a positive thing. Yeah. You know, he was he was his own man and, and liked to do the things he liked to do. And uh, it was just a tragic tragic situation and. Um, you know that was tough for all of us to live through that, and I mean it was uh, um, it was a hard time, that's for sure. But what what a quality individual he was. Yeah, no question. I mean, pretty much 
everybody that I ask about him pretty much says the same thing, kind of like how he was a little bit different than a lot of the guys where he kind of marched to his own drummer, uh, knew what he liked to do and, and all that stuff, confident kind of guy. Um, so, I mean, pretty much everyone has the same recollections of him. I just try to get everyone's opinion because, like I said, unfortunately, he's someone I can't speak to now. So, uh, so I appreciate that input. Um, so in junior, you had, you had some pretty good coaches. Now this is your first year under Jimmy Roberts. And Jimmy Roberts, uh, he's a pretty legendary American League coach. It, it, even, uh, you know, he had some time in the National League too. Uh, but Jimmy Roberts is a guy that 99 out of 100 guys have nothing but glowing things to say about him. And how did he help you um, transition from junior to pro? Uh, yeah, Jimmy was, was unique. I mean, that, that was, you know, at the time I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, you know, but he was, um, I don't know even how, where to start with him. I mean, he was, he always, he always knew how to get to me, especially like he, you know, he wouldn't say a whole lot, but the things that he would say to me were, were always, you know, thought out and, you know, calculated. Um, very smart, very, very articulate when it came to having to explain, you know, what he wanted to see on the ice from the guys. Uh, you know, unique personality. Uh, you know, you know, if he, if, if he, if he had your back, if he liked you and, and, you know, and he knew that you were going to work for him, I think he was, he was a perfect coach for a lot of us younger guys at that time. Uh, just a quality, another quality individual, just a classic, you know, legendary coach, really. I mean, uh, I, I was really fortunate, you know, and he didn't realize at the time until years later when you look back on, on your career and look back on the coaches that you had, how, how important and influential he was in, in, in my career. And uh, obviously, you know, we had already discussed how you, you weren't drafted your first year, then the Islanders draft you. You play, you know, 40-some-odd games, whatever it was in Springfield. It might have been even less than that. And now you find yourself with a call-up to the Islanders. How did you learn about your call-up, your first call-up? Yeah, that was Jimmy uh, called me into the office, and I was like, oh, I, I thought I did something. And he uh, <laughs> sat me down. You know, he's, he, had a little, he had a chew in his mouth, and he sat me down, and it was that right after practice, and he said, Robbie, got to pack your bags. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, you just got recalled to the Islanders, so uh, get your stuff ready and get your ass up there and play your ass off, he said to me, or something something like that. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay. And he goes, hopefully I don't see you again, he said to me. And, you know, but... Um, we were all young at that time, and, and you know, there could have been any one of us, Tommy Fitzgerald, like, there's there's a bunch of us that were kind of in that, that same age group that, that all, all, you know, were looking to get an opportunity at the next level, which was all our dreams, and, and I got that call, and I mean, I, I, I was walking on air when I left that, uh, his, his office, and um, I remember driving up to New York, and you know, get into New get into the island for the first time. That that was really special. That's awesome. Um, now you walk into the Islander locker room, and now this is different from your your training camps because now it's now it's for real. Obviously, training camp is for real, but you know what I mean in terms of now this is regular season hockey. And like you had mentioned, walking in, and now you're walking into the locker room for games that count. You're seeing guys like Patty Lafontaine and Trotz. Uh, Kenny Morrow, Billy Smith, Thomas Johnson, like guys who were part of something special. 
Uh, and then you see some of your Western League brothers-in-arms like a Mick Fakoda, Richie Pilon, Gerald Diddick. Um, so what was that experience like walking in knowing you were going to play a regular season, at least one regular season game? Yeah, just, yeah, to, to walk in, I just, you know, you keep your head down, you keep <laughs> quiet, and you just, you know, if you could see the emotion from the inside of me, you know, you try not to show that on the outside, but, um, you know, I, I was, I was walking on air, man. I, that that was a dream come true, just to walk into that locker room and, and to experience that. Um, yeah, an amazing time. Just, uh, I think, every player that ever gets a recall or, or gets the opportunity for the very first time, that's something that you've, you've dreamed and you've lived your whole life wanting to accomplish. And then I finally got to do that, which for me was, was I guess, for everybody is, is incredible. But... Um, you know that that's something that that I certainly will never forget ever. And fortunately for you, you hit some pretty you hit the milestones pretty quickly. You didn't have to wait too long. So obviously, we have to talk about your first NHL game, which was January eighth, nineteen eighty nine. And obviously, it would have been cool to play your first game at Nassau Coliseum. But at the time, Chicago Stadium is pretty intense. It's pretty awesome. I'm not sure there's a better place to have your first NHL game. What was that whole experience like? Yeah, I get. I remember being in Chicago, and then um, when I got there, I walked in, and uh, they're having their pregame meal. Which, for me, you know, at that time, you always went on your own to a restaurant or somewhere to eat, or we're at home. But you get you get to the hotel, and a beautiful hotel, and then you have these separate rooms where we had our 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 pregame meal, which I had never experienced before. And then it's, you got everything there. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. I got this. Is, so this is the national hockey league. This is what it's about. This, these are the things that you don't think about, but, but that stood out to me. was, was one of the things, but I remember when I walked in, Al Arbor met me and, uh, he goes, I guess there was, at that time, New York, they were struggling a little yeah. bit and kind of going through a tough time. And so then he uh, he said to me, he goes, so when I walked in, he says, oh, the Savior's here. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No, no. And uh, he was, they were being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. Was of course. The movie, like that, that wasn't yeah. at all what he was, was meaning, but he was he just lightened the mood for me and... and um, so Chicago was the first game, and to Al's credit, uh, he started me that game. Like I, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago Stadium. At that time, it was a smaller building. It, it, it's still to this day, during the national anthem when yeah. you're when you're you're in the building, it's the loudest place you could ever imagine. Yep. And uh, so Al started me. And I was on the blue line, and you couldn't hear yourself think like it's so loud during the national anthem, which yeah. is an incredible thing that they do in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that's another experience that that is etched in my brain that that I'll never forget. It's just that 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 excitement that I had. I'm like, oh my god! I mean, I'm 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 living the dream now. This is this is something. So <laughs> uh, that was an incredible time for me. I, I'm sure Al isn't the only coach who does this, but as I've been doing this podcast and I've been doing interviews, um, and some guys didn't play as many games as you played in the NHL, and some guys didn't play any at all, but even if a guy played one game, 
It seemed like Al would always make sure they started the game. And to me, that is, I mean, it, it sounds like something so simple, but it just seems like something so brilliant. Get you out there, get you going. You're not sitting on the bench wondering when you're going to get your first shift. You're starting the game. And like I said, as far as NHL coaching goes, it seems like something so simple, but to me, and obviously I've never played the game, it just seems like something that is so obvious to do to get a guy comfortable. Yeah, yeah. not many coaches do it, though, mind yeah. you. you know, like you, That's what made Al really special. Like, I don't know how to explain Al, but um, like he, he was... He, he's like a, a father figure, but, you know, almost more than that. I mean, he's, he just, he, he once you're in his group, um, you know, he'll kick in the ass when you need a kick in the ass, but for sure. But he put your arm around you if you need that, or, you know, he'll talk to you like a human. And, and I got to tell you, I think Al was probably the, the most influential person in my career. I mean, I got to, to New York and he said, and he showed me the lineup sheet. He says, okay, you got Brian Trotche, you got Pat LaFontaine, you got Brent Sutter, you got all these guys that, that are ahead of you. He goes, where do you fit in this? He asked me. He goes, what do you think of this? And I'm like, well, he goes, how, do you, how are you going to need to play your game in order to fit into this group? Like, where do you belong here? And I said, well, right now I probably belong at the bottom of that list. And he goes, well, yeah, you probably do. And that's probably where you're going to start. So, like, he didn't play around with you, right. you know. I knew where I was going to be. I knew, and he said, if you want to have a career in this in this league, these are the things you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, defense, check, physical, you know, because we have LaFontaine and we have uh, Trache and we have all these guys that can score and be a you know, and and as a junior player, you're one of the scorers, right? You think yeah. you're one of the the you're going to play an offensive role in the National Hockey League. Well, here's the reality, and how are you going to how are you going to change your game in order to fit into this group? And so, like, those are the things that he made you aware of, yeah. and it's your choice how you want to do it. You know, I could have tried just to be an offensive player and you know produce and and do the things that you did in junior. Or, you know, and you could probably do those in the minors for a chunk of your, but, you know, if you want to play here, this is what you have to do. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, to me, he's a legend. I, uh, I'm, I'm biased. I, I say, I, you know, obviously a lot of people say Scotty Bowman, but I just don't think there's a better coach out there that's ever walked the face of the earth than Al. So, uh, I mean, I could talk to you guys all day about Al Arbor. I love the guy. So I love hearing stories about him. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of games later, you're at you're at uh, the uh, Meadowlands playing the Devils, and you score your first NHL goal on Sean Burke. Uh, I'm sure you remember that. I do, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was yeah, scoring your first goal. That's another dream come yeah. true. And I, and uh, um, Burke, ended up playing with Sean uh, down the road in in Tampa for a little while for a cup of coffee when he was there, and and. Uh, I remember reminiscing about it with him. He didn't remember the goal by any means. Like <laughs> none of the goalies ever tend to remember, yeah. you know, goals. But yeah, that was a great experience. I remember. I can't remember exactly how I scored the goal, but um, all I do remember is that I was like, "Wow, you know, yeah. this is a big deal." And then Trotz actually got me the puck, and he and he and he picked it out of the net or whatever it was, or he went to the referee, got the puck, and he brought it to the bench and threw it to a trainer and, and 
they wrapped it with tape and did that whole thing, which was really cool. And I, uh, I have the puck to this day, which is, uh, which is a neat thing. So I watched that game. I mean, my memory might be a little fuzzy. I thought you went end-to-end. I thought you started behind the net and you just dipsy-doodled for <laughs> yeah. five guys and went five-hole. I mean, I could be a little sketchy, but that's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously I watched, the, I watched the game in Chicago from my TV. I watched the uh, Jersey game and I watched your first ten games that you played. The road games that I watched on TV, the home games I was there. Your 11th NHL game, I'm sitting in the stands, you're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, I think it was behind the net, you and Al Secord come together, and I think this might have been the first time where you may have opened up some people's eyes that you won't shy away from the uh, fighting or the tough play, and you certainly didn't pick on uh, a shrinking violet there in Al Secord. Do you remember that fight? I do, yeah. Yeah, I was behind our net. Uh, I remember exactly how it happened, but he gave me a you know, I don't know, he gave me a shot or punched me in the back of the head or something, and then I turned around and I just did something back to him, and all of a sudden, here we go, and I'm like, I didn't really realize who it was at the time, it didn't, mm. didn't really matter to me, to be quite honest with you, but, yeah, um, yeah I, I, you know, I, I don't recall it being like a, a an outrageously good fight on my part, but it was, you know, at the end it was Al Secord, and you know, he had a reputation in, in the league at that time. He was kind of coming towards the end of his career, I believe, but um, it didn't matter to me. I mean, it was, I ended up being Al Secord, which is a pretty good memory for me down to think back on it now. But, uh, yeah, and I did all right. I handled myself okay. And, you know, and I, I think I, for me at that time, you know, having to establish yourself physically in order to not get you know, taken advantage of was really important. So, you know, I did that a little bit, you know, more than I, I normally would, but uh, at that time, but, you know, just to establish myself that, like I said, that, that you're not going to get taken advantage of. Yeah, I, I, I remember it vividly, and as I'm sitting here thinking about it and hearing you talk about it and getting goosebumps just because, you know, you were still fresh and new to the team, and, uh, you know, this is pre-internet, so I wasn't able to just go on YouTube and see some of your junior fights or anything like that, and and I, knew, I had known a little bit about you that you weren't afraid to mix it up. I'd never seen you in person, though. And, you know, Al Secord's a pretty big name, and I was—I just remember it like it was yesterday right now. I, I, like I said, I'm just getting goosebumps again just thinking about your, uh, you know, this is it. And like you say, he's, he's a guy, Al Secord's fought him all and everything, and he probably just figured, who's this little guy? I'm going to just give him a shot or whatever, and then yeah. I'm going to turn around and skate up the ice, and we're going to go for a face-off. He probably didn't expect you to challenge him, and... I just remember thinking, oh boy, I like this kid. So, uh, so that was really that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, when you go into the next season with the Islanders, now you had spent some time in Springfield, but you had spent some time with the Islanders, and I, I imagine that with your style of play, Al Arbor obviously liked you, and the Brass probably liked you. Now, going in, having spent some time with the Islanders, um, do you feel like you have a pretty good chance to make make the team? And I understand the way your mindset is that I don't think you ever take anything for granted, but you had to be a little more comfortable going into this camp since you had those those games with the Islanders the season before. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's no question. That helps. Um, yeah, uh, there was just a there's a big transition going on in New York, and, and you know, kind of bringing in new new players, younger players, kind of, um, they were so loyal to their, their core group for so many years that that, that might have, 
you know, it might have been they went too far with that and been too loyal, but how can't you be, you know, with right. guys that have been there to win four Stanley Cups? I mean, that that was the strength of the organization was their loyalty to their players and, and um, to the guys that have shown that organization success. And so now it was kind of a turning point where it was the, the, the younger group coming up, which was I was part of that. And, um, you know, we I got the training camp and I, I thought I had a good opportunity. And, and uh, I was, you know, like I said, one of those younger guys that, that was kind of the next generation coming. And um, I wasn't overconfident by any means. I didn't think that I had a spot locked up. So, I mean, it was the same thing for me. Uh, you know, you put your work boots on and you're, you, you train in the summertime. You, you come to camp and, you know, I didn't have any preconceived notions that I was on the team I had to earn my spot and you know I, it, it kind of worked out at that point that's where you know I basically started to establish myself as, as an NHL player that season you did spend 54 games in Springfield and this was yeah. uh, I mean we know where this ends so hopefully we'll get some details but again I, I always reiterate this for people that are listening you know 54 games 52 points so 69 penalty minutes. So, were you named captain of the team right away? Yeah, uh, not right away. Um, I don't even know why I was named captain because I was just a young guy, mm. you know. And but again, that was I think that was more of an, an organizational decision, maybe from 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 New York or or you know I'm not sure how that actually took place, but I ended up having to see on my jersey, and that was Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Roberts, and, you know, he gave me that, and he gave me the responsibility of, of wearing wearing a letter, especially the C. That 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 means something. Yeah. Obviously, to me, it was was quite an honor. Um, so, you know, I played whatever it was. I think I think you said fifty four games, fifty four, something like yep. that, mm -hmm. in, in in springy and and. Again, we were that same kind of group of younger players that were just up and down, up and down between the National League and, and, and the American League and trying to establish ourselves. And, you know, that was, uh, it was a, some of the best times of my life were playing in, in Springfield with that group of guys. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a fun group and uh, we were all single guys. So, we, I mean, we all hung out together and it was just, it was, it was a fun time. Uh, to be a professional hockey player, I think um, for a lot of a lot of fans in, in any sport, it's they look at stats and stats only. But you played with a guy in Springfield who was not a player driven by stats, and his his uh, contributions can't be told by stats. But he's a guy that um, was a mainstay with the Islanders. Uh, it, you know, played some games up, mostly mostly down in the minors. It was assistant coach at times, and that's Sarge Chris Pryor. Um, oh. For for a younger guy like yourself, how important is it having a guy like Chris Pryor on the in the organization helping you out? Uh, Pryor was great. I mean, I know I, I still see him a lot, you know, in our in working in in the National Hockey League nowadays, and you know he hasn't changed at all. He's the same yeah. guy. He's a grumpy man. Just, <laughs> yep. I don't know if I've ever seen a smile on his face ever, uh, <laughs> but he's got a heart of gold. Yep. And uh, quite an individual, you know. Like he's um, he's a personality that's very unique. Uh, you know, he, he looks like he's mad all the time. Yeah. 
for whatever reason, but he's not. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's a softy, to be yeah. quite honest with you. Oh, yeah. He comes across as being this, this hard-nosed guy. Uh, great, you know, great guy to have as a mentor somewhat in the, mm-hmm. in the American League. You know, he's kind of lived it. Guy was in phenomenal shape all the time, and he still is. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you knew you knew the value of training and and you know off the ice, how do you handle yourself, how do you take care of yourself? All those things were were something that I learned a lot from Chris. This season for yourself is really, uh, I think it really comes down to the playoffs. Now, uh, before we get to the Calder Cup run, you did play a playoff game for the Islanders that season, and you did score a goal. Do you remember that? I do remember that, yes. It's uh, in New York, I do remember. That was uh, that was something for me. I mean, I was, uh, I remember the goal. I remember uh, the experience of playing in, in, in an NHL playoff game, for one, was, was incredible. Um, and then, you know, I took that experience, and then we went back down to, to Springfield where, you know, you feel like you're, you're, you got that NHL uh, aura about you that you were actually just there, and you can translate that to to the American League and just be uh, a little bit better of a player at that level. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way I took that. And I think obviously uh, we know how the story ends with with you guys winning the Calder Cup, but I think what fans need to know is um, you guys weren't a juggernaut by any stretch of the imagination. That team had a lot of ups and downs, and you guys really got hot at the right time towards the end. Uh, the end of the season and, and going into the playoffs. So um, talk about, like, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a few questions specifically about the last game, Game 6 against Rochester, but can you kind of talk about the run and maybe getting hot at the right time and then just, uh, you know, going into the playoffs on a, on a bit of a roll? Yeah, well, that year we were, you know, for the first third of the year, we weren't even considered a playoff team. I mean, we were struggling. We had... There were a lot of ups and downs with that 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 season, for whatever reason. Call ups, you know, guys were going up and down between Springfield and, and New York. Um, team never really gelled together until you know the second half of the year after Christmas time. Then, you know, we started to really come together, and all of a sudden, you know, everything started to work. You know, Jimmy did a fabulous job managing that team and keeping everybody. Uh, engaged and you know we just kind of fed off each other and then it was just it was like a snowball going downhill we just started to we started to gain traction and started to 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 win games and started to you know inch and crawl our way up the the standings and finally got to the you know got to the playoffs got into the playoffs and you know you know took it from there just went series after series and and uh it was it was an incredible time. It was it was kind of a whirlwind to be honest with you, but yeah. it was uh, it was a special time. All right, so we're going to narrow it down. Now we're in Game Six against Rochester You're for the Calder Cup. You guys are up three games to two. Going into the third period, you guys are down three to one. So yeah. as the captain of the team, do you? And I know sometimes captains aren't very vocal or, or lead by example, but. In between the second and third period, do you have to speak up and say anything, is, or is it quiet? Do you remember that? No, I do remember. Uh, more quiet than anything. Uh, not much had to be said. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be quite honest with you. I mean, it's just like uh, I don't remember. I, I think I said a couple things, but you know that that was 
nothing needed to be said at that time. I mean, we had guys on that team that 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 had some experience too. So it was just like Jimmy came in. He says, "This is it," you know. Third period, like I mean, you know, this is the season. This is the championship. This is why you bled and and worked and you know sacrificed everything to get to this point. So. Um, you know, leave it all out there when you get out in the third period, and we did that. And I mean, that was it. it was quite a it was quite a third period, quite a, quite an experience for uh, for for us in, in that locker room. I mean, it was um, trailing. Uh, Greg Park and uh, Wayne McBean, I believe, got to, Wayne scored the winner for sure. I know that, but uh, um, yeah, I'm just trying to look back and think back on 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 that that third period. I mean, it was just like, you know, we we found some momentum and we kept coming and kept coming, and then uh, you know, at the end, the way you know, the way it ended was uh, was incredible with Wayne scoring that goal. Now, we we discussed the locker room in between the second and third period. Now, you like you mentioned, you tied it up in the third period. Now you got to go to the locker room again before overtime. So was it yeah. a, was it a different atmosphere in between the third period and overtime as opposed to the second and third period? No, no. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're sitting in your locker, you're just like, you know, you're you're pumped and you're excited, but you're nervous and you're scared. And overtime is, you know, it's a break here, or you know, hopefully a good break, or mm-hmm. you know, and not the bad one. That, that 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 wins it for you or loses it for you and so you, you know I mean you just now now it's just your play you yeah. know you try not to to make the mistake you, you you try to do the little things the details the pucks deep you know just put momentum or put pressure on them where where you know you force them into a mistake and that that's that's really what it is and and you know there's no real rhyme or reason but the locker room was was relatively quiet excited but quiet and you know just this this energy that is very difficult to explain to someone if they haven't experienced something like that you know the pressure of of a whole year's work into just you know you know one period or one shift or and that's the way we approach that it was just shift after shift just you know do the right things just you know uh create the energy that that gives you the opportunity to win and we uh we ended up, you know, fortunately yeah. winning that game, which was, which was incredible. Yeah, unfortunately, once overtime started, you didn't have to wait too long. Uh, I think it yeah. was was I think it was less than two minutes in. The goal was scored, and is that just a sense of relief and euphoria? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the play. I remember yeah. I remember Greg Park was on the far end of the ice. Uh, made a great play. He was a, he was a he was a really creative player, and. and you know, for the guy his size, the stuff that he could do was, was really special. But it, I remember he dragged the puck, puck close up to the blue line, you know, looked to the far side of the ice, made this great pass to Wayne, and Wayne kind of was driving down the, the, the left side, and Wayne took a shot, and I don't know if it got tipped or whatever, how it ended up going in the net, but I remember that, that you know, all of a sudden the bench went crazy, and then, you know, the stands were crazy, and they were throwing stuff on the ice. The armrests. They were throwing the armrests on the ice. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was armrests all the time. Yep. I didn't quite understand. Nobody was there. We were all like, what the hell? <laughs> they were ripping the seats apart, I guess, or whatever. But, 
that just added to the excitement of it. And um, yeah, what a relief and, and what a time. Awesome. That was the first American Hockey League game I ever went to. Was that was that game six? It was unbelievable. Oh, is that right? You were yes. There. Yeah, I was there. Um, I won't bore people with the story. I'll tell you another time how we ended up there. But yeah, I was there, and I think the reason why they threw the armrests on there was because it was just they were easy to rip off. I remember I we actually didn't have seats for the game, and like I said, that, that's another story. But the armrests just popped right off. So I think everyone was just excited and. Hey, someone grabbed an arm. You know, as soon as one person does it, you know, everyone's like, hey, I could do that. And, and just, to, I remember seeing all the armrests go on the ice. I have one still somewhere in a box or whatever. I didn't throw one on the ice, but I do have it. And uh, that was my, yeah, that was my, uh, that was my first American Hockey League game. So uh, uh, I've been to many since. It's a good one, that's for sure. Oh, man, it's my favorite game I've ever been to. That was fun. And then just going outside afterwards. And, you know, I think for, for um, a town like Springfield, which is, a bona fide American Hockey League town. It's their team. It's what they live and die with. I mean, it doesn't get much better for the people of Springfield in and around the area to have a team win the Calder Cup. No, no. That, yeah, it was an awesome time. Um, yeah, it was special places. I don't know what they say or they used to say. All, all NHL roads lead through Springfield yeah, at some uh -huh. point. So everybody seems to have played in Springfield at one point or yeah. another in their careers. But... Um, yeah, it was a, it was a it was a fantastic time. What a group of guys we had, and you know, it was just a it was a special time. So one of the things about that game that uh, I always give Dean Ewan a little grief for is I don't know if you remember he wasn't there that night because his wife was having their twins. Yeah. So so yeah. he wasn't there, but I was. So I always say you know I was there, you weren't, and then of course he he got the twins out of it, so of course he wins. Plus he got a ring. I didn't get that, but still I always. Uh, Whenever it comes up, I'm like, yeah, I was there. You weren't there. You were, you know, so uh, just, you know, goofy shit. But, uh, but yeah, I always talk about that, that he wasn't there. But uh, it worked It worked out well for him. His, his kids are pretty amazing. So um, it's sort of a goofy question, but I guess I have to ask it. Can you compare winning the Calder Cup to the Memorial Cup? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I can. Yeah. Uh, I don't care what level you win at. Like when you win something as a group of players that, that have been through something for a long time, you know, through regular season, and uh, I, I, winning, winning really at the end of the day, it's just you can never get enough of it. I mean, it's 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 you know, it's it's exhilarating. It's it's why you play. You know, it's the reason why you you go through the ups and downs and the broken bones and the cuts and bruises and it's the reason you play and whatever level that is I mean Memorial Cups are special you know any championship is special just because you're bonding with a group of players that you'll remember those days for the rest of your lives and that's what that's what made it you know whatever championship it is it, it makes it special but I, I you know it's hard to say one's more you know important or more special than than the others yeah. um the more you get the better they are it seems like you know yeah. the more you you, you 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 tend to appreciate it so um you know i'm just kind of a long-worded answer to this no no keep going i think they're i think they're they're all special in their own way and you got three rings in four years that's not too bad yeah, I had a good run there to start my career, and then it kind of went dry for a long time, unfortunately, until this past year where we, uh, in uh, St. Louis, we uh, 
we got the I got the I got the final one finally, which was mm -hmm. something that has been eluding me for a long time. Which was uh, not as a player, mind you. Which yeah. Is, that, but that didn't matter to me at all. I mean, like you said, winning's winning, and when you're part of an organization, you you go through. You know, on this side of it, you go through the emotions of watching the players and how they perform, but you're responsible for putting those players on the ice. So it was a different type of, of, of winning, but it's still winning at the end of the day. No, definitely. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you know you're the last player to have retired from that Springfield championship team? No, I didn't. Yeah, you were the one. You were the, the last one. Everyone else retired before you. Is that right? Yeah, yes. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. you were uh, you were the longest lasting guy, and which is great because obviously, um, you know, you've had some injuries in your career, and you play a physical style, so it's really a testament to yourself that you were the one who lasted the longest. Yeah, that's odd, huh? Yeah, yeah I really thought about that. That's uh, well, yeah, that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, now you know, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the next season with the Islanders, I think you made the team out of training camp, if I'm not mistaken, and. Uh, I know that yeah. you, you fought a guy in exhibition who I think you might have been to camp with the following season, and that's Rick Hayward, who at the time was with L.A. Uh, do you remember that fight? Uh, you may not. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. it. Mm, that's okay. We got a few other ones we're going to talk about. But that season, yeah. <laughs> that season, you played one game with the Islanders, and then you ended up playing twelve with Capital District. Was that? I, I don't remember it. I'm assuming it was an injury. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did get hurt, and, yeah. uh, and then I had to go down on a rehab stint. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after that, I got came back, and I don't think I played uh, played. I don't think I played another game in the minors really with for a long, long time right. until I was in Dallas and I had to go back for another uh, couple game rehab stint because of an injury. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was pretty much it at that point for uh, for the American League for me. Um, the next season was, I would guess, your breakout season with the Islanders. Uh, no time in the minors. You made the team out of camp. So I guess, did you, at this point this year, did you have a talk with Al or someone, the you can get a place talk, like uh, I guess the talk that you always wait for where they're not going to send you down most likely they say okay we're going to keep you you can find a place uh no never had uh, to talk i lived at the marriott hotel for i think it was almost five months oh wow and then all of a sudden i remember al coming to me he said yeah because i think they they realized because they they were paying for the hotel yeah. <laughs> was, and i didn't say, i wasn't saying a word about anything yeah but, can I get a place? Yeah. I, I didn't say a word. And I remember Al coming to me, I don't know, was that end of practice or before practice, and I remember him saying, are you still in a hotel? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, yeah. He goes, what the hell are you doing in the hotel still? <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, nobody told you to get a place? Mm -hmm. I said, no. And he says, well, it's time to check out of the hotel and find a place to live. There you he go. goes, you're staying here, so yeah. But that that was a special yeah. conversation because that that that's one that, that you always want to hear, and that that was cool to me that uh, that he said that. But I yeah, I was keeping my mouth shut. I wasn't saying a word about you know where I was living. It, I wasn't <laughs> rocking that boat. That's for sure. <laughs> so um, early in that season, the Islanders made two pretty big trades: one with Buffalo, one with Chicago. Um, did the guys that come in that came in did they affect? 
not your standing with the team in terms of um, uh, like you make keep staying with the team, but in terms of playing time, did, did any of those guys that come in um, uh, decrease your playing time, or did it have any effect on you at all? Yeah, I, well, it, 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 it's going to affect your team, and yeah. Some, I mean, Turgeon probably took some of your ice time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you you brought in Pierre Turgeon and Adam Creighton. Uh, Steve Thomas mm-hmm. came in from Chicago, and uh, I don't remember the rest of those. Benoit players. Hogue. Yeah, and Hogue came in, now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was, yeah, all great guys, too, yeah. but... Um, yeah, it did. It did affect it a little bit, and it kind of made you know, you know, they're they're trying to improve the team. You know, they they at that time were weren't doing well in the standings, and you know, they just felt they needed to do whatever they could to in order to put a uh, a little bit more competitive team on the ice, and you know, change things up. You know, you move Patty Lafontaine, which is a huge trade at that time for mm-hmm. for Pierre. Pierre was a, a heck of a player as well, and he was a good fit with the Islanders. Um, so, yeah, yeah, certainly it, it affected my, my playing time a little bit. And uh, But, you know, organizations have to do what they have to do in order to, to improve, and they, they did that. Now, this season you had three fights, um, all pretty good, pretty good goes there. Your first one was at home uh, against Steve Leach. Uh, you cut him up pretty good in that one. Uh, you definitely got your arm loose in that. I don't know if you remember that one. You know what? I do remember that one. That was uh, that was at home. Yep. And uh, Leach Leachy was with uh, Boston, I believe, at that yep. time. Yep. And uh, yeah, I got I, I got him pretty good there. I, I remember that we were kind of twisting around a little bit, but I I I remember um, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. You know, it's one of those fights that that you end up getting the upper hand. And uh, I I got him a few really with a couple hard hard lefts I believe yeah. it was and, and um, I don't know if he went down to the ice but I remember he was I think he was cut up a little bit yeah he was yeah so that was a yeah. that was a pretty good one I mean that was a, you know he was a gamer though Leachy I fought yeah. him again later mm-hmm. on in my career I know that and uh, yeah uh, I can't remember where he was. Uh, you were in Philly. Philly, yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he was still in Boston. Was um, in Boston. So what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward to the third fight that you had that season. That was, uh, I think all, all three of your fights with the Islanders that you were at home. Uh, this was against Sean Burr, who I imagine may not have known anything about you. Not that Sean Burr is a fighter, but I think this might have been a case of him maybe not knowing you and just thinking, oh, it's a smaller guy. I'm just going to give him the extra shove or whatever. And, yeah, and yeah. He, and you did pretty well against Sean as well. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, vaguely remember yep. behind the net, I yep. believe. Yep, absolutely, was. yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I did okay that one. I mean, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, Sean was bigger guy. Oh, yeah. They're all bigger guys to me <laughs> at that time. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't remember vividly about yeah. that, you know how the fight went. I think I did okay. I think I hung in there and... Mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know if you call that one a draw, or maybe I got a little bit of the upper hand on him. I'm not sure, but um, again, that was just you know trying to establish myself, you know, for the most part in, in the league. Now, the middle fight that season that you had is, I think, the one that most people remember and most people will reference in terms of uh, 
your bouts with the Islanders, and you were playing St. Louis at the Nassau Coliseum, and there's a scrum involved, and originally you're not involved physically, but you're kind of paired off with probably the most passive guy on the ice, which was Adam Oates. And then the camera shifts away, and then next thing you know, they're they're trying to go to commercial on the TV, and all of a sudden you end up getting paired up with probably the most aggressive guy on the ice, a guy who I, I love the guy, a guy you played against in the Western League, and that's Darren Kimball of St. Louis. And you guys have an unbelievable toe-to-toe fight. I'm not even going to ask you if you remember this one because I know you have to remember this one. I do remember that one, yeah. <laughs> That yeah, Kimball. I, I remember Darren from yeah from the Western League. I mean, he was tough guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was his job, you know, and there was no questioning that was his job, you know. That was his role and protect the guys on his team. And uh, Adam Oates was out there. I don't know who else was out there, but I, I remember, I remember that, and he was like, all right, you know, he he, he kind of. Got, I don't know how we got together, but we ended up getting together, and that just goes back to the Western League days. So, um, I think he knew that 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 he was in for a little bit of a, you know, a fight. To be yeah. honest with you, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just went at it pretty good. That that was a pretty good tilt. Yeah, that that was a fun one. Yeah, I him, remember him and I have spoken about that, and he just says he's like he he goes I knew how to he goes I knew I was in for a fight. I knew how tough Robbie was. I remember from the Western League and. And your styles matched up well for people like myself who like to watch him because it was just toe to toe, and yeah. uh, you know he always gives you credit. He he knows how tough you were, so he he didn't he didn't think it was going to be a walk in the park. Maybe different than Al Secord may have thought, but uh, but yeah. Kimby Kimby always gives you credit. So, <laughs> um, so the end of the season comes, and and uh, we get into the summer, and now you find yourself left unprotected by the Islanders going into the expansion draft. Uh, was that a bit of a surprise, or, or did they alert you to that fact, or how did that go? Uh, yeah, they, they didn't alert me directly, but through my agent they did, and, and um, you know, there's a chance that I was, they said there's a chance that, that you know, Tampa might uh, might be the team that, that's interested in, in Robbie, and uh, they didn't want to, they told me they didn't want to leave me unprotected, but they just you know, with the depth of our organization, the lineup and, and the guys that they brought in, you know, I was, you know, left exposed. And it ended up being, uh, so Tampa did select me. Mm-hmm. And um, that was an interesting time. I mean, that, that it was, uh, you're going to an organization that's never been around before. You're going to the South, which at that time, you know the National Hockey League is just trying to expand to to, to uh, different markets, and so you're going to Florida, which is never a bad thing. But yeah. you know you don't know what the reception is going to be like. You don't know if the people understand the game at all, and where you're coming from, a place like the island where there's a history there, and there's a tradition there, and there's winning there, and there's Stanley Cups, and they know about it. To go into a place like Tampa where it's all brand new. How about how about this? You go to Tampa where it's all brand new, and I'm going to hit you with three things right away. First of all, Phil Esposito is one of the all-time characters of, I don't even want to say the game, of sports. I mean, Espo is, he is an island onto himself. The Espo stories are legendary. Um, yeah. Then you walk into the Manon Rayon thing, which I'm not shitting on her at all because she's a million times a hockey player I would ever be. 
But I think to a certain extent, a little bit of it had to be to get eyeballs. I don't necessarily want to call it a sideshow, but it was kind of a sideshow to draw attention, and, and it worked. I'm sure you know, it worked. It, uh, it really brought attention to the organization. And then you played at the fairgrounds. So, I mean, it's just that had to be like a hat trick of, I don't want to say insanity in a bad way, but that's a lot going into a new team, don't you think? Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> and I mean, it, the, you're right. It, it, you know, they, they had to sell the game. Yeah. And, you know, Manone was, she was a, she was a, a competitive person and, and, and actually a talented goaltender. Yeah. You know, undersized in the National Hockey League, it's just a, it's just a different animal for yeah. for someone like that. But mm-hmm. you know, the attention that it brought the organization, which you know, they self admittedly, Phil would say, yeah, we did it for that. You yeah. know, but you know, it was also a step in the right direction for for women's hockey. Yeah, to say that you know, um, as much as, as as much as it was for attention for the National Hockey League, it also drew attention to, to women's hockey, which was a plus yeah. at that time. And, you know, uh, yeah, I remember training camp, I remember the first game that she played. It, uh, it was it a pretty exciting time. I mean, it's, you, it's never happened before. So yeah. anytime you, you're involved in something that's brand new, you know, just like going to, to, to Florida as, as players is brand new, you know, you have a female goaltender in the net and in the National Hockey League, which was groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, and, and I, again, I'm not I'm not disparaging, and I know you're not taking it that way, but I don't want anyone listening to think I'm disparaging her. I mean, the fact is, you know, she did something that was never done before, um, and she is a pioneer in women's hockey. And listen, talk about drawing eyeballs. She was on David Letterman. So it's like, you know, she did what she had to do for herself, uh, you know, to get herself more known out there, to get the organization known out there. And yeah. um, I think she played some, did she end up playing a few games in Atlanta also, I, I think, yeah. maybe? Yeah, so I mean, you know, she is a pioneer for women's hockey. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all. Yeah. I, I just yeah. think, I just think uh, she was the perfect person at the time for what someone like Phil Esposito wanted to uh, make this not just another expansion team. Because if you think about it, that year you heard a lot more about Tampa than you did Ottawa. No question about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did, and and you know it, it had they, they had to have some marketing behind it, and I mean I, I I'm assuming a lot of obviously a lot of thought went into you know how the, how they can build the product and you know create the interest, create some buzz, and um, but at the end of the day that that goes away, right? Yeah. I, I mean, and, and then it's it it comes down to what you know what the players do on the ice and. Um, yeah, it was a it was a very unique time, boy, in my career in in in, in the National Hockey League. Probably the one uh, physical thing that stands out that season is you TKO'd Richard Madvichuk, and it seemed like before you put him down, it looked like there might have been a little bit of a conversation. Did I did I see that right? Or um... uh, you know what I I played with Maddie in uh, yeah. in, in Dallas for a number of years, so yeah. I mean. I don't know if we really talked about it. I think we did. I think there was always a, a little underlying thing that with him and I. Yeah. I like Maddie a lot. Yeah. Um, he's not a fighter. Yeah. And uh, he never was. And you know he was a big guy, but you know that that wasn't part of his game. And I don't think he knew who I was, mm-hmm. and I really didn't know who he was. I just thought he was this guy, and he he's the one that that instigated that. Yeah. And he thought it probably because. You know, I'm a smaller guy, and 
you know, this will be the guy that I can I can do something with. And yeah, it was a it was just a it was a one punch thing, and you don't have many of those in your your career, but that was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Now, similar to how I asked you about a guy like Dean Chanel helps you make the transition uh, coming to the Islanders. When you went to Tampa, you had some familiar faces there, like Adam Creighton, Joe Ricci. And uh, I believe you had played, uh, Mark Bergerman was with the Islanders organization while you were there. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. And, and he is one of the, uh, and, oh, and he was with Springfield. He won the cup with you. So, yeah. I mean, Bergerman is known as one of the all-time personalities in the sport. So, the, going into a new situation, you're in a locker room and you got basically uh, 20% of the team is familiar faces. So, that had to make things easier too, I guess. Yeah, very much so. Uh, really did. You know, again, just like all similar type players, right? Yeah. We all came from other organizations that that had to, you know, either were, you know, pushed aside or let go or you know needed a change, and so we're all similar type players. All kind of had a little chip on our shoulder, and and um, you know wanted to prove that that you know you're you could be you know quality NHL players, and so. You know the the whole atmosphere around that that our group was, you know, to to prove people wrong. Yeah. And uh, you know, Burge was Burge would just lighten the, the 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 mood. You know, he was he he just knew how to. He he was just a great teammate. You know, a great friend, uh, a guy that would uh, compete his ass off on the ice, but you know, make you laugh off the ice all mm -hmm. the time. I mean. He, I got a million stories about yeah, Burge, yeah. and uh, you know I lived Burge for a point in time. You know we won a championship in Springfield together, and um, played a long time together. And I, I'm I'm still good friends with Burge today. Actually, there was something I wanted to ask you about going back to the Islanders because I was there and witnessed this. I don't, and you probably you may not remember it because I'm sure pranks happen all the time. There was one day I was at Kaniac Park, and I never forget this. You know the the back door that you guys came out of or the side door. I'll never yeah. forget one day Mick Vakoda comes running out like a bolt of lightning. And he's just like, no autographs, no autographs. I got to go, I got to go. And next thing I know, the door opens and you're standing there. I think you have your sneakers in your hand. I don't know if there was shaving cream in them. And I know it's such a little incident, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if you remember that just because I witnessed it. I, uh, you know, that it had to be Burge for sure. Like, it's either my laces were cut or my tie was cut. <laughs> or there was something in one of my socks or my shoes or whatever and it wasn't just me it was everybody I mean, mm -hmm. but it was like on a daily basis so I mean it was, for sure it was Burge I don't remember that exactly yeah. but mm -hmm. because there were so many yeah. with him <laughs> <laughs> alright I, I had to ask because it just hit back in my head so now the next season with Tampa they brought in an assistant coach who I think has had a playing style a lot similar to yours similar in stature very, very underrated player, I think, all around. But I think here's a guy I watch play myself. Uh, Danny Gare is a guy that I think, like I said, was very similar to you. Um, do you remember playing for Danny, and, and what kind of a coach was he? Tickets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember Danny. He was a um, – yeah, he was a hell of a player. I mean, yeah. I do. Like, he, you know, he, he fought a lot of guys, and, you know, he's – you know, I don't, he's very close to being a Hall of Famer, to be quite yeah. honest. But he's in the uh, the the he's up in the rafters in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Style-wise, tickets. 
I think he was between him, Terry Crisp, you know, Wayne Cashman, very similar type guys, you know, yeah. all hardworking guys, all guys that, 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 you know, it wasn't so much X's and O's at that time mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, effort and commitment and, you know, put they put a structure in place and, and you know, you had to follow that. But, um, yeah, tickets, you know, as far as his coaching career, I, I mean, I, I know that he's knowledgeable yeah. and I know that he helped me with, you know, penalty killing stuff and just yeah. little details of the game. I think those those were the biggest things that I took from Danny. That season, you had a fight with Danny Vial, and the fight's going pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, you ended up breaking your leg. At, at, at some, when your leg broke, or what, if the bone snapped or cracked, did you did you know it instantly? And, and did you not? Did you feel it? Obviously, you felt it, but um, did you know that it had happened? And did you twist? Do you remember the whole situation that ended up? I remember your leg? that exactly. Yeah, I remember. You know, we were we were kind of going at it and. Got twisted up my I remember oh I don't remember well, yeah. my skate got caught in a rut mm -hmm. and turned me and my leg didn't turn and so I had a spiral fracture in my my left uh, which I have a plate in my ankle today because of that but mm -hmm. you know I, I right when it happened I like I had to go I, I went right down like yeah. it just dropped me and um, that that was a, a tough one for me I mean that was yeah. a long rehab and I remember getting back to the locker room you know they carried me off because uh, I couldn't put any pressure on it and I remember the, the doctor they were the trainer and the doctor were taking my skate off and as soon as before they got my skate off the doctor goes let's go we're going to the hospital right now yeah and so like it was just it was twisted and that was a uh, I felt it and it was awful and if there's one thing in my life that I'd like to forget about, yeah. it's that. <laughs> well, I apologize for bringing it up. But no, no. it, okay. it yeah, sets me up for my next question, though. Now, once you come back, I guess you decided that eventually you're going to end up fighting again. So you ended up picking on one of the biggest guys in the league, and that's Stu Grimson. Um, was there any hesitation going into it? I mean, it would be understandable if you were gun-shy, say, because the last fight you had, you ended up snapping your ankle. Uh, but was there any hesitation going into any fight, and it just happened to be with Stu Grimson? No, yeah. uh, no real. No, I didn't think about it to be yeah. quite honest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was healed. I was ready. I was mm -hmm. fine. I, you know, if uh, and that, I, 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 I vaguely remember that fight too. But yeah. it wasn't much of a fight. Right. Uh, thank God. He's <laughs> a big man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have any hesitation. I that. You know, yeah. it didn't matter. Really, it didn't matter who I was, who it was. Mm -hmm. It was just, uh, and you know, I, I came off of, of a bad injury, but I was totally healed. I was fine, and and you know, you have to play the game, and that's it's. I wouldn't say it was my job, but it's mm -hmm. you know, if those things arise, that you you have to, you know, have to accept it. And I didn't think about it. Yeah. Uh, what was your reaction when you were traded to Philadelphia? Yeah, that that uh, you know, I was. Uh, you get comfortable in a in a situation, and, and you're you're enjoying your time, and and you're you're part of you know something that's that that was growing in Tampa, and um, but Phil, I guess you know, he needed to change his change the group. He 
I talked to him to this day, and, and he regretted making that trade. For whatever reason, he felt he needed to make it, so he did. Um, but I get to go to you know one of those cities that uh, and teams that that uh, you know for me growing up, I really remember watching Philadelphia and Montreal. You know, like th- those were like epic yeah. battles. And now I'm going to to you know to to Philly with Eric Lindros and you know. John LeClaire, and he wasn't there at that time yet, right. but um, you know, eventually he showed up in, in a big trade, and, mm-hmm. and you know, Philly was awesome. Yeah. I, I one of the, the best places I ever played, to be quite honest with you. Great fans, uh, great support, great energy all the time. You know, um, fantastic teams that that we had when I was there at my time, and uh, uh, great experience. You played with one of the scariest people to ever play hockey, one of the toughest guys ever, arguably top three, top four, toughest players ever in Dave Brown. Uh, how nice is it to be in the same locker room with Dave Brown as opposed to being in the other locker room with, uh, against Dave yeah. Brown? Brownie is uh, Brownie still works for Philly, and I see him often, you know, in the field. And, and you know, uh, one of the nicest, easy going uh, friendliest people you could ever meet yeah and you know his reputation on the ice is is warranted because you didn't want to mess around with brownie yeah but um you know it, what a what a fantastic he would be and he's just uh he's one of those guys that that has time for you you know doesn't come across as you know never talks about you know his history yeah. as, as a fighter in the National Hockey League. Rarely talks about that stuff, yeah. and just just one of those special, special human beings. You know, love Brownie to death. There's another guy that you played with, and you had mentioned him, and that's Eric Lindros. Now, I've never met Eric. I met quite a few times when he was with the Islanders. I never met Eric, but the one memory I have of Eric was the first game that I went to um, in Philadelphia, and I had gone down for the warm-ups, and it's just the warm-up, but. I'm watching uh, this monster, this massive guy, the way that he skated and the way that he glided and the way that he moved, and I was sort of awestruck. And I wasn't 10 years old at the time. I'm a grown man, but I'm watching this guy move on the ice at that size. That is something I don't think I had ever seen before out of a a guy that big. I mean, you can talk about Eric, and you can also talk about the next season with that line, the Legion of Doom. I mean, what is it like being on on the bench watching a guy like Lindros and then just watching a line like that dominate like they did. Yeah, when they traded for for, uh, for Johnny LeClaire from Montreal and Eric Desjardins and, and uh, Gilbert Dion, um, that just changed the outlook of our team. And then they put they put Michael Renberg with Johnny and, and Eric on a line together. Uh, the most dominant threesome that I've ever seen in my 19 years in the NHL, I, I'd never seen, you know, three guys dominate the way they did. Uh, Eric was, you know, he was an anomaly. That is something that the league had never seen, really. A guy that big, that strong, that skilled, that that mean, that he had everything. And this is prior to, like, him with some injury issues and right. concussions and stuff that, that happened to him later. But at that time... He was by far the most dominant player uh, in the National League, yeah. and 
that line was the most dominant line in the National League, in my opinion. I got to see them every day, and the way they 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 could just dominate games. And I mean, it was it was incredible. The skill, the strength, the speed, the power. The 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 league had never seen that, and I got I got a front row seat of that every night, which was uh, which was really special to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I was just like. I'm standing there with my jaw dropping, and like I said, this is just warm up. This isn't even competition, but I just, like I said, I'm just watching this guy, and I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. And I think, you know, I think he's always going to be compared to Forsberg because of the trade, but um, I don't know. Like at that time, like you say, pre injury, I mean, he was as dominating as anybody. But of anybody, he yeah. had this aura about him. I mean, Eric was like rock star, like yeah. like he he left the rink and. Everybody knew him. Like he was just, he had this thing about like he just big man, you know. Uh, just, 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 he had an aura about him, and uh, just the, I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, yeah. I didn't know. I, it's very hard to explain, you know, the pressure on on a guy like that, you know, at a very young age to to deal with all the stuff that that he was dealing with. I mean, it was. Uh, it, it couldn't be easy, but yeah. um, Eric did a pretty good job with it. I have to say. Yeah, one guy you played, another guy you played with in Philadelphia. As we all know, goalies are a different breed. Uh, they're right. a bit out there and everything. And uh, you played with a guy in Philadelphia that eventually became an Islander, and then eventually became the Islanders' GM, and that's Garth Snow. Um, Garth is—I've met him a few times. Always very nice to me. Uh, but being a goalie and being the personality he is, um, what, what were your impressions of Garth? Yeah, yeah, I, I, he was a good teammate. I, yeah. I got along really well with, with Garth. Uh, you know, we're together too, too long. But he's, yeah, um, yeah always, always really personable guy. Like I, I, I really had a good time with, with him. I mean, uh, um, you know, we used to hang out a little bit together. Yeah. You know, we we used to go to dinners, go to lunches together. You know, there was a group of us that kind of hung out, lived in the same same area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his career took a funny path. All of a sudden, he became the GM of, yeah. of New York, just like that. It was just mm -hmm. like, how, yep. did, how did that happen? Yeah. And, but it did. Yeah. I mean, it's really odd. Yeah. But, you know, he, that the owner had uh, had had an idea in New York that, mm -hmm. that he was going to be, he could be a good general manager, and he made him the manager, which was, uh, which was an odd time. But um, I had a lot of time for Snowy. I thought he was a good man. Yeah, he was a, yeah, goal, he was, a goalie one day. And then he retired, and then he was named GM. It was yeah. We were all scratching our heads, going, "Well, we don't even know if he's qualified. He's never had any." Well, he so, wasn't qualified. Yeah. Yeah. You learn on the job. That's, it's, that's yeah. you know, the epitome of, of learn as you go. Definitely. Now you were exposed to waivers by the Flyers. You were actually claimed by San Jose and traded to Boston. So I'm assuming that being claimed by San Jose was just sort of a paper transaction and. Uh, they knew that they were going to eventually move you to Boston. Um, and Boston is a very similar place to Philadelphia. Uh, but were you looking forward to going to Boston when you found out? Uh, yeah, I didn't like leaving Philly. I, yeah. You know, I guess uh, for me, whenever you're somewhere for a while and you, you, we had great teams in Philly yeah. and had a lot of success, you know, whenever you, you, you have to move on, it's never easy. And yeah. You know, it's never fun having to uproot your your life and you know go to another city. But yeah, I was 
I got claimed by San Jose and then traded San Jose traded me to Boston right away, which was all prearranged, I believe, at that time. It was just, a, like you said, a paper transaction. But, uh, again, I got, I got to go to um, an original six team with Ray Bork and, you know, the history of Boston, the Boston Bruins. Turned out to be just a fantastic time in my life. You know, we, uh, uh, my, my kids were born in Boston, so I got an affinity for, you know, going back there every once in a while. My girls were both born there, so uh, I had a lot, of, a lot of fun times in Boston. That was, that, that was a fantastic, uh, ended up being a fantastic trade for me. Yeah, I understand how you feel about Philadelphia. We actually lived there for 10 years, and uh, I love the city. I love it there. And similar to what you're saying about your daughters being born in Boston, both my sons were born in Philadelphia. So I love the city. It's always going to be a special yeah. place for me. And I could definitely see a player like yourself. I, I, I know they loved you there in Philadelphia, and I could definitely see uh, you enjoying your time there. Um, we go to Boston now. Um, you had a very good year this first season. I, you scored 28 points. Uh, 82 penalty minutes, and you made them all count, apparently. You had a really good year fighting this year. I, uh, one of the ones that stands out to me, uh, you had a toe-to-toe fight with Damon Lankow from Tampa, and you did very well in that. So I guess my question is, uh, not necessarily if you remember the fight, but because you did pretty well in it, did you have a feeling that Rudy Poshek may come calling after that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, no. But Rudy, yeah. But he did. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew Rudy from playing with him. Yeah. I mean, playing junior with him. I, I knew what what could be coming. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I was a, I, I remember, actually, I do remember the fight with, with Damon. I mean, he's, yeah. he was my size, you know. Yeah. There weren't many guys our size. And he was a tough guy, too. Like, he uh, he wasn't afraid to, 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 to hang in there. And um, But then, yeah, Rudy came calling, which, Again, kind of like Stu Dremson wasn't yeah. a, a long, long fight, which yeah. was good for me. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a tough guy, man. I mean, he uh, he he made you know he was there. That's for sure. Um, you played with a guy who I have so much respect for. Uh, another Western League guy, um, just gives everything he has every night, heart and soul. Uh, what was it like playing with Jeff Rogers? Oh man, yeah. Um, Jeff Rogers is a lot like we talked about uh, Rod Dahlman earlier. Rogers yeah. uh, was um, just a true gamer. I mean, just a you know anybody, anytime, anywhere. Uh, it didn't matter, and uh, he would take his lickings every once in a while, but he'd give them out too, and just to, just showed up. Just you, you never had to worry that he wasn't going to be ready, and. Um, uh, you know, Aji, what a what a great, what what a fun guy to be around. Just, just perm a smile on his face all the time. Yeah. You know, easy going guy. You know, loved life. Just he was a he was a real good teammate. I I had I have a lot of time for uh, for Jeff. Yeah, definitely. Now you fought two guys that year that have very contrasting styles. One guy you fought was Darren Langdon, who everybody knows likes to tie up, to, you know, twist you in knots and everything, and then get shots in. And then you fought. Ty Domi, who does the spin cycle, likes to spin you around a lot. Um, do you have a, a pre- not that you really want to fight either one of those guys, but uh, <laughs> would you? Would, do you have a preference which one you'd rather not fight? Like, not the player, but the style? 
Yeah, the style. I, Ty, I don't. I, I, I never liked the way he. Like, very tough man. Yeah. Like, you know, he's got a head like a cinder block. I mean, it was. You, you, you could never hurt the guy, it seemed like, but, but he'd always want to spin you around and keep you off balance. And I, I prefer if you're gonna if you're gonna fight, fight. You know, yeah. like I, I don't like the, the the. You know, I prefer to stand there and you know, just you're gonna go, you're gonna go toe to toe, and you're just gonna go back and forth, and whoever wins wins, kind of thing. But yeah. that that's just my preference. Um, but Ty, you know. Maybe because of his size, and he fought all the big, big guys, and you know it's hard for for a guy to stand in there with with you know some of those guys. So maybe, maybe that's the reason. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Darren. Uh, oh, who are we talking about, Darren? Well, I was talking about Langdon style as opposed to Domi style. Yeah, Langer's. Yeah, I, I prefer Langdon to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had to do. You know, if I had to choose the two guys to yeah. the way they fought, I'd prefer to, to, to fight Langdon, no question. Uh, one guy who you fought, which it's weird for me to say that I, I don't think he gets as much credit as he should because of his resume, and you did very, very well against him this year, was Paul Laws uh, of the Panthers. Uh, that was a really good fight for you. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, if you don't, you yeah, did very well. Yeah, I think that was... I don't know if it was in front of their bench or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember. Like he, he was, you know, that was his job too. Tough guy. He fought everybody. I don't know if he, you know, he'd lead the league in penalty minutes most years. That guy. So he, I mean, he wasn't afraid to, to, to drop the gloves with anybody. And and uh, and very tough guy. You know, like you had to be careful with him. You know, because he could hurt you if you got if you got loose. So. Um, yeah, I remember vaguely remember that one. Yeah. Do. Um, how did uh, how did Pat Burns becoming head coach? Uh, did did how did that affect you? Was he a good coach for you? Burnsy was, you know, he was he's right on par with with Al Arbor as far as um, you know me learning and me having responsibility under a coach. Like, you know, he came from all those Montreal the Montreal organization where they had. They, they they were so smart about the game and how they, they broke the game down and what meant the most as far as winning was concerned within the game and how it was coached. And uh, Bernsey put myself, Tim Taylor, and, and P.J. Axelson together as a line and used us as much as we used our top lines. You know, we played against all the team's best lines as, as and we produced offensively and we checked and we... You know, and he relied heavily upon us. And, and Bernsey, you know, he, he, I got, you know, God rest his soul. Like he was, yeah. he was, you know, one of the guys that, that, you know, elevated my career in order for me to have a longer career, you know, because of the time that I spent with him, just learning the details of the game and just, you know, understanding, you know, how to play the game in order to win. And you know, he was a fantastic guy. Uh, he rubbed some players the wrong way because he was tough. If he didn't like you, you you'd know about it. But if he if he had your back and, and he had time for you and he liked you, which I was one of those guys, he'd go to the end of the world for you. Yeah. And uh, his wife, you know, their family, the whole thing about 
with Pat was uh, was special for me, and and you know, um, one of the most special people that I've ever met within the game. That's awesome. Um, what some people may not realize, because I don't think many people can picture him now without the uh, monstrous beard that he has, but 97, 98, you played with a fresh-faced Joe Thornton. Uh, how was Joe as a, as a rookie? I think he had a lot of pressure on him uh, going to Boston. I think he was the first pick overall, but uh, you remember Joe as a rookie? Yeah, he came in, I mean, just a, you know, this isn't meant to be a bad thing, but yeah. he was just a goofy young kid, you yeah. know, like... He was an 18-year-old kid with long hair. He, he, he almost looked like he belonged on a beach with a surfboard as opposed to in a hockey rink with a hockey stick in his hand, you know? Yeah. Ultra-talented. As an 18-year-old, playing against men in the National Hockey League is not an easy thing to do for anyone. Uh -huh. And um, I don't think he was ready at that time to, to, to be in the National Hockey League, not from a skills per perspective, but just from a you know just from a mental perspective just the the, the, the game was especially with a co coach like Pat Burns mm -hmm. um, who's really demanding defensively demanding you know all around you, you had to play a certain way and so uh, you know he, he it took him a while to learn but you know he did and look at the career that the guys had I mean yeah. Joe was Joe was a you know, it turned out to be one of the, the, the ultimate, or one of the best players in the history of the game. Yeah. You know, yeah. ultra talented and skilled and learned to be a leader and, and uh, you know, had success. But at that time, he was just a young kid, you know, yeah. just an 18 year old that was, you know, trying to find his way in, in, in the National Hockey League in a tough, in a, in a, in a tough league. Tough league, tough town to break in with also. Uh, yeah. They expect yeah. results, and uh, but I mean, listen, he's he's still playing, so it's amazing, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> you fought a former teammate. I have to ask, because I wonder if you remember, just because you guys won the Calder Cup together, you guys were teammates. Do you remember fighting Bill Berg when he was with Ottawa? Uh, yeah, no, I remember. I remember vaguely remember the fight. Yeah, yeah. Bergie was. Uh, that wasn't his job either. No. You know, he wasn't wasn't great at it, so. I think I did okay in that that yeah. one, uh, but yeah, Bergie was you know a similar type player to me to be yeah. quite honest with you, without you know having the, the physical side to, to his game, but you know established himself as a, as as a real good you know checking forward, uh, played a long time, played on some good teams, and uh, was a uh, yeah, it's credit to him that, that that he had the career that he did. Over the course of your time with the Bruins. I believe he had three fights with Denny Lambert. I think one he was with Ottawa and a couple with Atlanta. Uh, he's, an, again, a similar uh, style player to you. Uh, and all the fights were, were actually really good toe-to-toe -to -toe fights. Uh, do you remember anything about fighting Denny? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just, he's like Ty, you know. With, he's got the head the size of a buffalo and they can't <laughs> hurt him, it seemed like. And, but, yeah, like, but he would, like, he would, we had, we had, like long drawn out fights that just you just you're exhausted I can't even tell you how tired I was at the end of some of those fights with him but yeah he was he was a gamer man yeah. like he and and you know we can laugh about it I haven't seen him in a long time you know but we would I guarantee you we'd laugh today about, mm -hmm. about, about some of those fights that we've had together which was uh, were in my opinion some of the longest and most epic fights in my career yeah 
No. Oh, yeah. Games 10. Now, uh, I'm hesitant to ask you this because it's bringing me up to the point in the interview where I have to ask you about, again, being traded. And I'm sure, you, like you say, Boston is very special to you. But now you get traded to the Rangers. Um, um, uh, were you happy about that or not happy? Or what were your, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, well, we were going through the, the, the frustrating part of playing in Boston was, you know, we had really good teams, but, you know, as opposed to adding to our group and getting us that player or two that we needed in order to, to, to get to the next level, it was always a subtraction. Yeah. Ray Bork had, had gone to, to um, Colorado, which... You know, it was just there. Now they started to sell, and for whatever reason, I still to this day don't know why. But you know, everybody started to to, to exit, and um, you know, Timmy Taylor left to go to New York. Timmy really pushed hard for me to come to New York uh, when he was there, and ended up uh, you know going there kind of the, the, at the trade deadline. So I was there a very short period of time. Uh, and playing in the Big Apple, another original six teams, that was yeah. that was a unique experience. I mean, we had they they spent the previous summer they 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 brought in you know a ton of talent from all different parts of the league. They weren't afraid to spend money, and they tried to they tried to put all these star players together, and it just didn't work for some reason. But uh, what a unique place to play! Uh, Madison Square Garden was incredible um, I had a really interesting time there you know it didn't last long so I, you know I didn't get a chance to really you know have a lot of success there but we had we had a, we had a pretty competitive team we made a push to the playoffs we uh, we unfortunately didn't get there and then uh, you know the coach got fired John Muckler was left and uh, there was lots of turmoil John Tortorella took over for a short period of time so there was a lot of upheaval a lot of frustrating times in New York but um, I can tell you it was a it was it was a great experience to, to, to live it you know yeah. that's one place that if everybody has a chance to play in New York at one point they should take it because it's a it's 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 a unique place and one familiar face that you walked into the locker room and saw was your old buddy Richie Pilon but uh, yeah. <laughs> when I say Richie Pilon what do you think about uh, what do I go ahead? <laughs> that you can say in, in an interview. Yeah, that I can. <laughs> uh, just a big goofy man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not that's not, and that's not disrespecting Richie. Like he was just a fun guy. He got that little, that laugh that he yeah. has. That just, uh, you know, yeah. makes you laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, Richie was a unique guy, boy. He was. Uh, uh, this is going way back to, yeah. to when, I, when we first started together in New York. I mean, that, that was a long time ago. So, um, Richie was a Richie was a good hockey player. You know, tough guy, just a easygoing, fun-loving guy. And uh, you know, he never really changed. That, yeah. That's the way it was when when uh, when I saw him at the end too in New York. Mm -hmm. um, now, before you even get a chance to plant your feet in New York, you end up getting traded to Carolina with the aforementioned Darren Langdon uh, for Sandy McCarthy. So you couldn't have been in New York too long to really love it like you did Boston or Philadelphia. 
Um, were you looking forward to going to Carolina, or were you disappointed that you didn't have more time with the Rangers? Yeah, like, like I said, like, uh, I mean, yeah, it was just a really traumatic time in my career. Just like it, it was leaving Boston was, was tough. You know, being really established there with, with, with my coach and with my situation was not easy. And then going to New York was just a cup of coffee. And, you know, the, 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 the whole organization was kind of in transition or they're trying to do something. And, and they were just, you know, it, it, there was just no togetherness there, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, great place to play, but it just the, the situation wasn't good for, for anybody, really, at that time. And then, you know, I was in Carolina. Uh, I went there for one year. Mm-hmm. Me and Langer, we had a good group of guys there, good team, you know, competitive team. Got to the playoffs, lost out to Jersey. Uh, I enjoyed my time in Carolina. Uh, you know, it was short. It was for one year. Uh, Paul Maurice was our coach. You know, Ronnie Francis was there. We had Jeff O'Neill. We had, you know, we had a good team. We, uh, Kevin Hatcher was there. There on the defense, like we we had a, a good group of guys. Like it was really uh, a talented group of players. Mm-hmm. But again, it was only a short period of time. It was one year, and and you know, you kind of just snap your fingers. It was done, and then I moved on. So. Um, Again, I, I, I at this point, I, I, I took all the places that I played, and I took, you know, the best parts of it that I could. Um, they were never, you know, the greatest places for me, but um, uh, because they were just such such short stints, uh, which was, you know, kind of the way I was at that point in my career I was more of a journeyman. But I ended up into, after that, ended up going to uh, Dallas, which was a good stop for me. Uh, one guy that you did fight in Carolina that, of course, I have to ask you if you remember the fight was Richie Pilon when he was at the Rangers. And uh, Richie was a guest on the show, and uh, his memories in New York are, are with the Rangers are not the best uh, with Glenn Sather. And I know uh, he yeah. mentioned there were a lot of nights he was very frustrated. And um, so I'm sure a lot of his physical altercations maybe with the Rangers probably bore out of some frustration. And now you got two ex-teammates going at it. Do you remember fighting Richie? As you mentioned, strong guy. Uh, yeah, vaguely remember. To be quite honest with yeah. you, uh, I don't think it was much of a fight. I yeah, think, I don't know if you've seen it. I I haven't seen it, so I don't yeah. know. I I like Richie was tough though. Like he, yeah. Yeah, I don't really remember the fight. I'll be mm-hmm. honest with you, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular. It was more along the lines of just fighting an ex-teammate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is never fun to do. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. just sometimes things happen and you know, you can skate off the ice and meet him in the hallway after and Yeah. You know, you put your arm around the guy and give him a hug like that. That's just the way it was. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the game and your job is your job and you do your job the best you can and then afterwards you go have a beer or whatever it is and you know, you laugh about it. Yeah. Now Dallas is a place that I don't know a single guy that I know that played there that didn't love it. I know guys like Brent that played there. It's his home now. He still lives there. Um, and I think you said it ended up being really good for you signing with Dallas. Yeah, it was. I, I, yeah, I'd never played in the West before. I was always in the East. So this is the first time that I experienced, you know, real travel, for one. 
you know, those Western teams go through hell with, with their travel schedule, yeah. which was an eye opener for me, but that didn't matter because we had we had really good teams. Mike Badano's there and and you know, Yuri Lettinen and, and just a good group, Darian Hatcher, really talented group of players. Um, love the city, you know, southern hospitality, uh, good people, you know, passionate fan base for the game, for the team. Which was which was really good, and uh, I still have good friends from that team, Marty Turco and Brendan Morrow, guys that that, that I played with that um, to this day are real good friends of mine. So um, great experience for me, and uh, loved my time in Dallas. Uh, you played with uh, a guy with a pretty big reputation in Dallas, uh, another Western League boy, uh, Dave Manson, and it's a guy that you had battled uh, so many years with. Uh, I, I knew Dave a little bit when he played such a gentleman and everything, really opposite of what he was on the ice. Uh, off the ice, he was just a great guy. Um, and I know he was a little bit older at the time, uh, but uh, any memories of playing with Dave? Yeah, I remember Dave, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I just, I, I have so many, I have such a strong memory of him from junior Dave yeah. and just how he was yeah. and how, how scary he was as a player. So I... You know, for whatever reason, I carried those forward to, to, to playing with him in in, uh, in Dallas. But what a great individual! You know, I, like the guy, and he was a good hockey player too. You know, big and physical and tough, and you know, kind of had the whole package. Yeah. Uh, at that time, he had some vocal cord issues, that, yeah. that, so he couldn't. You know, he couldn't speak really clearly or not clearly. Just you know, he raspy. Was raspy. Yeah. And, um, but I. I you know, we we're both kind of getting towards closer to the end than, than the beginning for sure. And uh, uh, I had a good experience with him. Yeah, he yeah. was good for, you know, I, I, he's a great, really good teammate. I mean, I, I can honestly say that, you know, in my entire career, I don't remember really meeting a guy that I didn't like. Yeah. To be quite honest with you. Yeah. You know, there was guys that were different or whatever, but, you know, as far as personalities, every, you know, I don't know. That was just for me, like the National Hockey League and the guys that were in it seemed like to be all good guys to me. Yeah. I mean, my experience is that, you know, especially the guys that I would gravitate towards, the physical players, I, you know, there's only been a couple of guys who I, um, I think were kind of douchey, but maybe I caught yeah. them on a bad day or something like that. But no, I agree with yeah. you. The sport itself, I think, because it's such a blue collar sport. And obviously you have guys that have the natural God-given ability that can do this in their sleep, but I think it's it's really a, a lunch pad type sport where guys who achieve any success, they got there with hard work. And uh, I yeah. think that, that lends itself to having a, just a regular guy personality. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the guys that don't have that and are bad, not bad people, I should never say bad people, but just, you know, they get, they get weeded out quickly yeah. and at a young age that's just um, uh, you know it's such a tight-knit group of guys that those guys just get weeded out very fast and unless they're exceptionally skilled or they do something that's exceptional you know they tend to to, to be out of the locker room fairly quickly um, absolutely 100% did you uh, enjoy coming back and playing for Ken Hitchcock your old junior coach yeah, Hitch is just a love-hate relationship yeah. with Hitch and me for whatever reason. You're not yeah, alone. Uh, You're not alone. I mean, that is pretty – I think if you ask most guys who played for him, 
they probably say the same thing. I forget yeah. who, who yeah, was I. I, I, would, I would tell him yeah. to his face. I mean, because yeah. I, I worked with him in, in St. Louis for a lot of years. I uh, played for him in Philly. I played for him in, in Dallas. And, um, you know, he's a pain in the ass is what yeah. he is. Mm-hmm. And But he's a relentless pain in the ass because he will never let his foot off the gas. And that's his strength. You know, he was... You know, he, he, he would push you to a point where you just, you, you know, you wanted to wrap your stick around his neck. Yeah. But he would do it because he knew he was going to get the most out of you. Mm-hmm. Now, some guys didn't take well to it, and those guys ended up not being around. Yeah. But, you know, because it did, tend to, tended to have a lot of success with Hitch. And uh, that's just his M.O. That's why he never lasted in one city too long he always had to move on because uh, you know the guys would would get tired of it and you know somebody had to go and it wasn't going to be all the players it was going to be the coach yeah I think it was Paul Cruz uh, I had him as a guest on and I think it was Cruz that said one of the things that he did was he kind of made everyone hate him so it kind of brought the team together you had a guy that you could focus on that you kind of all wanted to kill and in, in, a, in a way, it brought you guys all together as a team. You had a singular focus, like, man, he's driving me crazy. And I think, you know, Cruiser had said he kind of used that as a tool where it would you, the players themselves would rally around the fact that he was a real pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if he'd self, it's self-admitted on yeah. his part, but uh, he was. Yeah. And I think he knew it, and... No, that's why those guys have a shelf life. Yeah. But, you know, they tend to win, and that's what the game is about. And uh, it just it, it wears out over time, and then you just get tired of it, and you have to move on. That's all. Uh, while you were with Dallas, it was your first experience with uh, Sean Avery while he was with the Red Wings. You had a fight with him in the preseason and a fight with him in the regular season. He's sort of a lightning rod uh, for people. What are your opinions on a guy like Sean Avery? Aver, yeah, I used to train with with Aver in the summer times uh, uh, for a, for a long time actually. So you know, um, Aver is a personality yeah. and uh, unique individual. Yeah, you know, he beats to his own drum. Uh, he lives the life that he chooses to live, and and he's outgoing and flamboyant when mm-hmm. it comes to his opinions on things, which is you know. Yeah which is good for him. I mean, that's his strength. And that's why he's he's kind of a lightning rod wherever he was. You know, yeah. after his time in in Detroit, uh, and he got to New York. I mean, that was, it was like almost putting gasoline on a fire when you yeah. put him in New York. <laughs> yeah, off. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not in a bad way. It's right, just, right. You know, like yep. it's, a, it's a big market, it's a big city, and, you know, he found his way, and, and you know, he was a popular guy, you know, for the most part, yeah. and um, yeah, so I had a few run-ins with him, you know, and uh, we had some we had some pretty good battles together, him yeah. and I. Um, so bring us to lockout season. So you ended up playing in Switzerland and Italy. So how did you end up? Is it uh, Langnau? Is that how you say Langnau, it? The ti- yeah. Langnau Tigers. How did you end up there? Uh, well, it was yeah. We're like you said, we're in the midst of a lockout and. At that time, we thought that as players, we were going to potentially come back within, you know, a month or two. So 
you know, a lot of guys uh, were looking to just get back into the game, get back into game shape, you know, play and, and start playing. So I had an opportunity to go to Switzerland, uh, which I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got there, and what a, what, what an interesting country and, and interesting league to play in. It, it was a really good experience for me. Uh, I had Timmy Connolly was there, was one of the, the other NHL players, and, and we were line mates, and we hung out together a lot, which was which was cool. Uh, but then, you know, you know, as the collective bargaining stuff kind of fell apart and ended up being a lot longer than we thought, uh, the team that I was on in Langnau uh, had some ownership issues and coaching issues and um, ended up not being a real good situation as far as just the whole organization and uh, I ended up leaving there, came back to North America uh, and you know, had an opportunity, got a call from, from Milan, which is the, the professional team and one of the professional teams in the, the Italian league, right. uh, asking me, because I'm a, obviously of Italian heritage and yep. I, had, uh, I had a passport, which a European passport, which was important to them uh, for, as far as imports because they already had a number of guides there. And uh, so they asked if I wanted to come and try and see, you know, if I'd like it. So off I went to, to play in the Italian league, which I'll be quite honest with you, mm -hmm. was one of the best times I've ever had as an athlete. Living in Milan, mm -hmm. uh, playing hockey for a really quality owner in, in, uh, for, the, for the team. They're called the Vipers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a really cool experience. Something that, that, that you know, how could, you know, I, I love the culture there. Yeah. I, we, had, we had a good competitive team. Uh, had some NHL guys that, that, that were there. Uh, and we ended up winning a championship, which was really cool, you know. I'd never experienced fans that, that reacted and chanted and sang mm -hmm. you know, for 60 minutes of a game. Like, it was, it was like being at a soccer game uh, played on ice. Now, now uh, NHLers that go over there, <clears throat> not that Connolly played for Milan, but let's say he did. He's Connolly. He's got the Irish name. You skate out there for Milan. You got DeMaio on the back. So I would imagine that, uh, the you know, uh, uh, Italian people, we're very proud of our heritage. And I think you're, you're skating out there, an NHL player with the Italian last name, that had to have some cachet with the fans too. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Like, it was – I was actually – yeah, I was a popular player there for, for the time I was there. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's also hockey in Italy, so you have to remember that that's not uh, front of most people's minds. Sure. You know, it's it's Inter Milan and Milan in soccer 24-7 over yeah. there, which is, you know, quite a, quite a, quite a spectacle when you're, when you're living in a, in a city like that. But, you know, they had their little group of, of supporters for the hockey team, yeah. which ended up growing, and you know, you know, because I was a National Hockey League player playing over there, uh, it brought some of Italian descent, brought some popularity to the to the organization, which was uh, which was pretty cool for me to to live through that. You know, had opportunities outside of the rink too, a little bit, which was which was neat. So yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun experience for me, no question. So obviously, like you said, uh, hockey can't compare to soccer over there. Not, it's not even close. But when you win a championship, though, 
Uh, how was the party there after you won the championship? Oh, it was, uh, it was crazy. Like, I don't know if they, the fans, like, we got into our locker room after we won. Like, all the fans came onto the ice, okay. first of all. So, you know, my wife was there, and I had two twin daughters that, that were young at that time. So it was kind of a little bit of a hectic situation. So you think you get into the locker room. Well, the fans think they can come into the locker room as well. So it was just, like, that was just one of the things, but um, the party was, you know, just exceptional. Uh, so much fun, you know, great ownership, like I said. You know, they took care of the guys. They treated it like a, you know, a first-class organization, which their credit was, was because um, I don't think the financing over there for as far as, you know, the, the, the revenues that they generate are really that high. Yeah. because it is the Italian league but it, it was it was good ownership and we uh, we had a lot of fun boy I tell you what yeah we had a lot of fun <laughs> that's tremendous now lockout ends you come back you sign with Tampa Bay and uh, like you said uh, with the Rangers uh, John Tortorella came in for a little bit of time there now you come back to Tampa obviously it's a completely different organization than the one that you left years before and you have John Tortorella as the coach uh, so what was that, that like coming back to Tampa? Like I said, completely different, different coach, different everything. And what's it like playing for Torts? Well, I played for Torts just for a short period of time in New York at the end when, when uh, John Muckler got fired. So Torts took over there. So I, I, I knew kind of what to expect. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, they just came off a championship. Then they had a lockout year, so they missed a year. And then, you know, now the team is back. So... That's a tight. It was a tight group of, of of players that won the championship, and John is very loyal to that group. I came in as as kind of the you know I I don't want to say outsider, but I was a new guy in that locker room that that, that didn't go through the championship time with with that organization. So it took me a little while to 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 find my way uh, with, with Torts, and you know like it was. It was an interesting time for me. Like it, it's, I wanted to be embraced, and you know, uh, as far as, and I was with with the team, with the guys. Yeah. It's just it, it always felt like I was on the outside of that for whatever reason, and and just because I hadn't won with them, and I had to work my way into that lineup and into into the organization again. But I, I you know, Torch is a, a demanding coach, and uh, I think that's. You know he's still doing what he does yeah. because he's good at what he does yeah. and uh, you know not everybody's a fan of John's mm -hmm. but you know I was and you know I think because he respects the guys that play the game the way I played it uh, but it was a it was it was a it was an interesting time you know like he was it was uh, you know you go to a team after they had won it's, it's that's a whole different you know, expectation, and you know, it took a while for me to, to, to find my way in, uh, in that or within, within that team. So we go into 2006, 2007. Did that cheap fuck Guillaume Latran dress ever apologize for the cheap hit that he laid on you? You know, he didn't. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, that that went, that sits with me the wrong way. Unfortunately, I I just. Um, you know, I was at the end of my career.
regardless. Mm. You know, I might have had another year. I had another year on my contract, and, and I had a really good training camp, I remember, and I got hit, you know, from behind from him in, in Montreal. And that was that was really it for me. I just I couldn't get myself back to where I needed to get to. Right. And uh, very frustrating time for me. But, no, he, he never reached out. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a public broadcast, so I'm going to be careful what I uh, what I say here. But yeah, I, I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of of people in general that you know. Uh, he knew that he he basically, and I mean maybe didn't know at the time, but he was trying to to, to you know play this physical role that I guess the owner or the management wanted him to play and it was just a cheap shot and it was something that, that uh, I think that you should apologize to the, the player that you did it to at some point you know maybe years later but I've got nothing from him and uh, uh, how about I leave it at that I don't all know right. well how's this I'll, I'll say this um, the, the shame of it all is that obviously he didn't apologize, never approach you, and that's bullshit. But how's this? You, a player like yourself played hard every night, played hard, played honest, would fight, would hit. No matter what you did, though, it was always within the rules. And you made a career. I'm looking at your career stats right now. You played almost 900 NHL games, played your ass off, and then you get a guy in here, that, and then you're not able to leave on your own terms. And a lot of times guys don't leave on their own terms in, te- in terms of um, – nobody wants to sign them or you end up your career in the minors or whatever it is just that your time has run out and yeah. that and that was taken away from you and I think that's horseshit and I think it's yeah. even more horseshit that the guy never reached out to you so I'm sorry to bring up that memory but of course I had to ask and it just means the guy's a punk and he's not a man and I'll say it so yeah. uh, you know I mind saying it but uh, but like I said career you ended your career playing 894 games 277 points 847 penalty minutes 62 playoff games, not a not a bad career. Yeah, yeah, it, it, no, I, I, it, it lasted a lot longer than I thought. I mean, if I, and it, you know, the funny thing is, if I was healthy through most of my career, I probably played around 1,200 games. I think it was or something. Somebody, yeah. somebody gave me that stat just a while ago. That that, so that that's a little bit unfortunate. But you know what? Uh, I got no regrets. I mean, yeah. I just. Uh, I lived it. I lived my dream, and that's, you know, something not a lot of people can say. And I, uh, I appreciated every second of it. I have to tell you. I mean, it was, even you know, the times that you got, you're broken up, and your your body's not doing well, and you know, you think, Jesus, this is tough. You know, I look back on it now. I'd never change it for a second. You know, I'd never change a thing about it. Uh, I got to meet some of the greatest people. Uh, you know than I could ever I could have ever have met you know and that that's you know memories that I'll I'll, I'll cherish forever and uh, it's given me the opportunity to, to still continue to, to, to live the dream by by working in the business so I you know I uh, you know I'm a blessed guy it was uh, it was a fantastic career for me one of the things about the the players who played for the Islanders in the organization around the time you did is um, Kevin Sheveldayoff is arguably one of the best GMs in hockey right now. Dean Chenault is one of the best hockey minds, assistant coaches in the league. 
Dave Chizowski is an assistant coach in the Western League right now. Um, Chris Pryor basically built the Flyers uh, a few years ago, and now you yeah. you were a key part of building a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, and I know, like, if you speak to Chevy, he just talks about what an influence Bill Torrey was for him. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he got hurt early in his career, and, and I think that's the route that he took. But I guess there, there's something to be said about the guys like yourself that not only go on to a different career in the sport, but become very successful. Um, so you worked your way through the Blues organization, started as a scout, then you were the director of scouting, up to now where you're the director of player personnel, which to me means the team, the last team in the league that hoisted the cup, you had a lot to do with the personnel on that team. Uh whether yeah, you want to yeah. say it or not, but let, let's call it as it is. You you did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? I mean, you're you're. Listen, I understand the whole scouting department. You like you say, worked your way up, and it's a group effort. I, I understand you're a humble guy and everything, but you know the GM has a big part in it. The whole staff has a lot to do with putting together a Stanley Cup champion, and I think in some cases that has to be more difficult than being a player because. When you're a player, you can control what you do. When you're an executive like you are now, you can only control who you acquire, who you want to draft, but then it's up to that player. But I, I think for someone like yourself and your scouting department, you guys have to have the foresight to pick the players who you think that are not only quality players, but that will eventually gel. And then the story of the Blues winning the championship is just an unbelievable story. Yeah, it is. And, and you know... I've been with with St. Louis now for what I'm going on 14 years. So I mean, it's when when we first got to I came with Doug Doug Armstrong um, way back from Dallas, and uh, you know we came to St. Louis and the team was you know, kind of you know at the bottom of the standings, and so we've we've kind of built this organization from the bottom up and. You know, lots of good people that we work with together. Like we've been together for a long time, so we we have a good understanding of what each other does. You know, we 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 have an idea of what uh, can be successful. The types of players that we target uh, has proven to be correct over time, and um, you know, the ultimate goal is win. And you know, we've had good teams for a long time. You know, good teams knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And finally, you know, it all came together last year, which is uh, which is a credit to the whole staff, boy. But it's a, it's not an easy thing to do, like you said. It's to build a, a winning organization is one thing. To build a, a championship organization is another. And you know, so you need good people, and and we have that within our organization. So it's. Uh, it's been a real fun ride, boy. I tell you, it's uh, it's, it's not without frustration for sure, but uh, uh, it's really gratifying after you get to hoist that Stanley Cup, boy. That 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 was something that uh, I will never forget. That's tremendous. So uh, you have uh, two Memorial Cups. You got a Calder Cup. You got an Italian Championship, and you got a Stanley Cup ring. So it's you got to start working on the other hand now. You got five fingers on the other hand. You got five uh, opportunity for five more rings at some point. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So uh, we're basically almost three hours in. So I will say, Rob, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it means the world to me. This was a lot of fun for me. And the question I always ask last of my guests, 
Um, did I forget anything? Huh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I that's for sure. <laughs> is there anything? Uh, is there anything about your career that I didn't bring up that uh, that I forgot that uh, is an important part of it? You know what, Joe? I don't know. I'd have no. to think about that. I yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I give you credit, boy. You've done your research and you're you're prepared, and that's yeah. that's that's impressive. So you're 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 excellent at what you do. That's you know, you brought up stuff that you know I out of sight, out of mind, you just forget about. And the nice thing about this, that you, with what you've done, is that you've, you've regenerated thoughts in my head that I haven't thought about for a long, long time. And it's, uh, it's great to think back to those days. You, you just forget so many little detailed parts of it that, that you need somebody else to remind you that you remember this happening. And then you think, well, now, I, now looking back on it, I do. And wow. And then it leads to something else. So, a credit to you for the research that you've done. This is uh, this has been really nice for me too. You get to take a trip down memory la memory lane. Well, you know what that means the world to me. Uh, you know to hear to hear you say that. There are times where I do this. I do the research. That's why I reach out first and then do the research later because I, I do I love doing the research. It's not that it's something that I go oh no I got to do the research. It's like all right cool he's on board let me do the research and it and I do I try to do as much as I can hours and hours. But it's fun for me to do it, and uh, to have you acknowledge that just it means the world to me. So, uh, Robbie, I guess uh, I've taken up enough of your time, enough of your life, uh, three hours. But uh, I really appreciate the time, and I can't thank you enough. And uh, you know, all the best to you and your family. I, I hope you guys are safe, and good luck to the Blues when uh, when the play picks up again here. Okay, my friend. Thank you very much. Right. It was great. Oh wait, you know what? I did forget one question. I can't believe it. And, I, and it's funny because I wanted to ask this first. The nickname Sal. Who gave you the nickname Sal? How could I forget that? I just, And I, I didn't plan it this way, I swear to God. I can't believe I forgot that and I didn't write it down because I said, I'm not going to forget that question. Who gave you the nickname? That's a good question. I don't... Uh... See? Now <laughs> I have to think back on. <laughs> oh, man, I could have let it go with that. Or, or do you remember when, when people started calling you Sal? It was in New York at the time because yeah. my dad came down to visit me, mm -hmm. and I introduced him. And this is Sal, my dad's name. So, yeah. uh, God, I can't remember who. Was. Oh well, I'm sorry about that. I just I knew, I knew obviously anyone that that knows you knows of you knows that's your nickname. So I was wondering if you remember yeah, who gave it to you. Yeah, but nobody calls me that anymore. It's funny, you know, until you brought it up. <laughs> Well, it's funny when we were texting. I'm like, I wonder if we call him Sal or if uh, if he doesn't like that or whatever. So that's why I just stuck to Robbie. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. No more questions. Uh, thank you again, Robbie. Uh, have a great day, and and uh, and it, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, Joe. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. See you, man. Bye now. Take care. Thanks again to Sal for that interview. I swear to God, I, I do all this research. And I come up with all these questions, and it's great. And I swear, I'm telling you, I swear to God, I did not write down the question about the nickname Sal because never in a million years did I think that that one would slip my mind. And I'm actually glad I remembered it, even though I remembered it basically at the end of the interview. I, there's no basically about it. I remembered it at the end of the interview, and I'm glad I remembered it while I still had him on the phone. But it just goes to show that uh, even if you're, 
try to organize things as best you can, which I'm not necessarily organized in a lot of things, a lot of real life things, let's say. But I, when it comes to this show and when it comes to like hockey fights and all this other stuff, I try to be as organized as I can be. And uh, of course, I didn't write down the question about the nickname Sal and I had to squeeze it in there at the end. But thank you very much, Sal, Robbie DeMaio, my paisano. Um, tremendous job by you. Uh, I had an absolute blast doing that interview and I really hope you people enjoyed it too. Uh, next week, I could have another good one coming. I'm supposed to interview somebody tomorrow. Or again, I keep saying tomorrow because it's Sunday. I'm supposed to interview someone on Monday, which is pro hopefully today when you're listening to this, the first day it's available. And if I do, I know for sure that uh, he's got stories for days. And I also know that um, when we're done, it, he also could end up being one of those guests that ends up being a two-parter because, um, you know, he's. Uh, I know a lot about his career from watching it and uh, I've basically uh, I've known him for a long time so this could end up being a two-parter hopefully it comes to fruition I I am gonna start a fine jar for myself because I consciously made an effort not to say other than that in uh, the intro and uh, I because I have to stop saying that it annoys me and I just said comes to fruition which I want to stop saying also so I am gonna start a fine jar for myself starting with next week's episodes and, um, you know, maybe every time I say something, I put a buck in there or something and not that it'll amount to much, but, uh, but I'll, I'll throw a dollar in there and then maybe after a while it'll, it'll be something significant because, you know, I, I am, uh, careless sometimes saying things I don't want to say, uh, as far as cliches and, uh, maybe I'll get a few bucks in there. I could donate it somewhere, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, because I'm starting next week, I will say, hopefully this interview comes to fruition. And I'll have another great one for you next week. So, and again, when I say great, I certainly do not mean the host. So, uh, I hope you people enjoyed this interview with Robbie DeMaio. And uh, everybody, best to you, best to your families. Thank you for listening and stay safe. Have a great day, everybody. Mm -hmm.